When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. We are saying as long as there is breath in our bodies, we will not forget you. If we don't deal with this issue now, the problem will get bigger. The lack of empathy. These women need to get over themselves. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart the conversation. This is The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Good morning. Thursday morning, the 2nd of September straight away I want to go to a man in a hurry this morning who's Adam Higgins political correspondent of the Irish Sun and I know you've only got a few minutes and I appreciate it Adam straight question my friend is Simon Coveney in trouble here good morning yes indeed both Simon Coveney and the tarnished and indeed the government are in deep water here because already we we the situation at the moment is regarding this Catherine Zappone appointment that has trundled on for weeks but has really taken legs in the past day or so. Simon Coveney had originally said that um, none of his cabinet colleagues had known about this uh, appointment until he brought it to cabinet. Now we know that um, the Tarnister was well aware about 11 days beforehand because Catherine Zappone contacted the Tarnister directly and asked, um, did he hear about this job? And then the Tarnashtay has released this strew of messages between himself and Captain Zappone and also Simon Coveney, where he asks Minister Coveney, did did you know about this job? And Minister Coveney, um, about 10, nine days before the the appointment was brought to Cabinet, before the rest of his government colleagues had signed off on it, gives full details of the role to the Tarnashtay. Now, that in its own is questionable itself, but the situation then regarding how this all came out, because... Many reporters from several different outlets had um, put in FOI requests, freedom of information requests, to get any text messages or any documents around this. And all were told, this, that there's no documents, there's no texts that exist between the Tarnashta and former minister Catherine Zappone. And now we know that these did happen and that the FOI situ- uh, system didn't work as it was supposed to. So why did Leo Varadkar release those texts yesterday, do you think, Adam? And and he threw Simon Coveney under the nearest number 10 bus? 
I actually think the Tanishta was releasing those messages to try and save Simon Coveney from a bit of embarrassment because at the committee, in the Dahl committee on Tuesday night, um, Simon Coveney said that he deleted any text messages between himself and the Tanishta so would be unable to show the committee them when they asked which is controversial in itself because those text messages are supposed to be applicable to the, the FOI Act and we should be able to get a look at them if you go looking. They're official um, business. He yeah. said he deleted... Exactly. And he said he deleted them originally be on, on a situation that he ha- he didn't want to have enough data on his phone to hold them, which is a bizarre statement. That was clarified the next morning when he said that he deleted them because he was afraid he was going to be hacked. He said his phone has been hacked before. Now, that raises massive questions because if a Minister of Defence phone is hacked, surely that is going to be a big situation that needs to be investigated by both the military and the Gardaí, but yet we've never heard anything about this. Um, there was no clarity about when this happened, when uh, questions were put to both the minister and the minister's spokesperson last night. We have no clarity about when this happened. So there's big questions left around that as well. But I think the Tanishta saw this situation unfolding and thought, look, well, let's just give full transparency. This is the text messages. And that in itself has caused uh, its own difficulties because we see now um, backbench TD from Fianna Fáil, Barry Cowan, really turning up the, the heat on the Taoiseach this morning by saying he needs to address the content of those messages. And by that he means that Leo Varadkar knew about this appointment 11 days before it was brought to Cabinet and yet throughout those 11 days did not flag it with the Taoiseach. And we know the Taoiseach was blindsided by this when it came up at Cabinet and the Cabinet did agree to, to push ahead with it and, and then eventually it was backtracked after the controversy surrounding the Merion Hotel party. Ministers all have media advisors, Adam, who, who deal with crisis moments like this. Is this one, and I know you're caught for time, so I'll make it brief, is this one they can make go away quickly? I think that depends on how the rest of the coalition parties take this. The, the Taoiseach himself seemed to be backing um, both the, the Tanishta and Simon Coveney yesterday, but he did kind of hit out and give a warning to Simon Coveney, a kind of veiled warning when he said that ministers should not be deleting messages and that this would have to be reviewed. So that was kind of a veiled hit at Simon Coveney there to a warning that you can't be doing that. But we haven't heard from the Green Party yet on this. And I know Catherine Martin is doing a press conference later on, something to do with the arts. And, and then the Green Party leader, Eamon Ryan, will be out amongst the a press conference later on when it comes to the Housing for All strategy, which has been launched today. And it'll be interesting to see what the Green Party take on this is. And importantly, this is all happening on a day that we're supposed to be, I should really be on this show talking about the government's bid yeah. to fix the housing crisis in Ireland. And instead we're being overshadowed by a very embarrassing Fine Gael gaffe. Is there any chance at all that anybody could lose their job here? Lastly and briefly, Adam. Personally, I don't think so. But we have seen situations like this kind of gather pace and unravel uh, politicians' careers and and governments before. But I, personally, I, I think they'll, they'll hang on there at the moment because even if they did decide to break up the government over this or, or people dug their feet in and said, no, this is, this is the, the line in the sand, who would want an election now at the moment? I don't think any of the coalition parties would want that, so I don't see it going anywhere like that. All right, thank you very much, Adam. On your way to a press conference and appreciate your time. Adam Higgins, political correspondent of the Irish Sun. If this one develops any more legs during the morning, we'll bring them to you. But just look what happened. Those those text messages came out Tuesday. That's, yes, uh day before yesterday. Simon Coveney told the Dáil Committee that Catherine Zappone never lobbied him 
for the position but had texted him to invite him to her party at the Merion. He also claimed that Leo Varadkar had no knowledge of the appointment but had texted him to say he'd be seeing Zapone in Dublin. But then there's the exchange of messages, which I won't read, but they're there for anyone to find on social media or wherever, to clearly say, as Adam said, we weren't given the full story here. We were not told the full story. Neither was the Taoiseach told the full story. So the Taoiseach was blindsided, not just by his his tarnished, but by his constituency colleague in Cork South Central, uh, another minister. Taoiseach was blindsided. Barry Cowan, I was listening to Barry Cowan's interview this morning, and he, remember, he lost his job over an old, old drink driving story. And the reason he lost his job over the old, old drink driving story was it just became a complete distraction to the work of government. So what the heck is this only a complete distraction to the work of government? We'll follow it with interest. The, the names, though, Zapone Gate broke while I was on my holidays. Then it became Merion Gate. That's still going on. And now, oh dear, it's Piglet Gate. And the less said about that, the better. Although Piglet, by the way, is a posh wine bar. And I see where the Irish Independent, uh, they do these reviews of restaurants and bars and stuff. They were to have a review of the Piglet this weekend, coincidentally. So they published a review of it in the paper this morning. You know, not stirring at all. 1850 What do you think? Is this a sacking offence? Is this a resignation issue for Simon Coveney? Or is this just another storm in a teacup that will and should blow over? I'd love to know your thoughts on it. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie The Cork's 96FM music panel gives you the power to pick our playlist. Click 96FM.ie now. 96FM.ie now. Take the 10-minute survey and you could win a 100-euro shopping voucher. The power to pick what we play. Pick what we play. Join the Quark's 96FM music panel. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Find the link on Instagram, Facebook and Twitter. Or see 96FM.ie. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. 1850-715-996. Like, do you actually care about this? Because a lot of people do and a lot of people don't. And I'd like to know whether you do or not. The idea that it distracts from the business of government is what Adam Higgins was saying there in his conversation with me. And interestingly, it leads me on to Emma because... Emma is on to us about the, the housing shortage, which they're supposed to be tackling today in some big plan of government, of, from which we're totally distracted by, by Gate. But Emma, you were listening to us the other day when we had a homeless man on the show telling his story, and, and it struck a chord with you. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Yeah, it did because it's something similar. No, not something similar, but it's same thing as with the housing crisis. Myself and my partner have been searching high and low to try to find anything now at this stage. 
for the past 18 months and we have no luck whatsoever. Like, I was just saying to Fiona, I'm send, I'm easily sending up to like seven to ten emails a day and that's Tuesday, Monday, Tuesday, Saturday, Sunday, every day. Like, to let agencies to try and get viewings on places. But like, all we're getting back is a virtual viewing and then they'll ask about ten questions about yourself and your job and how, like, how tell, many Tell me a little bit about yourself and your partner. Emma, just just for listeners, just introduce yourself to us. So I am myself is Emma. I'm I work part time at the moment, but I'll be going back full time. I'm 31 years of age, and I'm living in my parents' house. Yeah. And my partner Darren is working um, full time. He has a good job. He's a very good job, and he's 34, and he's living in his parents' house. So like we're back and forth between houses to make sure like. You know, we have a healthy relationship and we have we're doing what we want to do. But like as I said, we're in our early thirties. We want to be independent to ourselves, not living in our parents' houses and jumping from house to house and making sure like we're seeing each and every one of our family members, even though like I'm going to my partner's house most days and then when he's not working, he's coming to my parents' house. So it's just very hard, like, trying to actually have a relationship and trying to start a family because we're at that stage where we want to start a family. Yeah. But, like, we need we need a home first to be able to do that and be able to settle in and be comfortable and not be stressing. Like, yesterday, I actually felt so defeated because we were after finding a beautiful property. We were after viewing it virtually because that seems to be the new thing. We sent in all the information that they requested of us. And yesterday morning, I got an email centres after being let out already now this happens easily PJ about five times a day and I could send up to ten emails so then the other five I'm not even getting a response off them people and like they're asking us like I was saying yesterday to Fiona there was one particular home I wanted the area now or anything back in I think it was like April or May and we literally thought we had the house because they looked for everything they looked for details about our bank statements Mm -hmm. they looked for references from our jobs references from our past landlords they literally scrutinised our our lifestyle before they even accepted a viewing now we went off the basis that we were after getting it because what kind of things do they ask I mean bank details obviously work details references this place now was the only place that kind of looked for um, references from uh, a job and re- uh, bank statements. They literally physically wanted 12-month bank statements going back 12 months ago and references from the job. But most places, they'll ask about, I think it's about seven questions. So they'll ask how many is moving in, what's your job, how you plan on paying for the rent, when can you move in. Um, do you have the first and last month's uh, deposit? That's normally what they ask for. But then this one particular place looked for everything. So like off what I'm going off, like my partner has a very good job and I have a very good job as well. So by them just off me looking at our bank statements, they were like, no. Or is there something like I was like, I'm baffled because we're doing everything correct. Like we're a couple that we don't drink, we don't smoke. We have good jobs. We have a car and my partner has a company van. We're respectable and we're clean. Like, I'm not, I'm baffled at how it's so hard when I, like, I live in the Northside area and there's so many houses I'm passing every single day that are boarded up yeah. or just are empty or lying idle years. Like, yeah. there's one particular area down in, not Blackpool, but it's kind of just outside Blackpool and there's three houses boarded up. 
and it's a lo- it's actually a lovely area because it's a little estate. Yeah. But those three houses, even like not even going off myself because I know there's families out there like living in hotels. There's no need whatsoever for it, like because there's so many abandoned houses or even abandoned buildings that they could turn into a house. They're just not bothered fixing up the houses for us to rent yeah. off them, and like it's not it's not. Uh, sorry, want sorry, to I meant to cut across here. Is it? Is it? It's not a council house you're looking for. You or a council? No, you just want a what, place. No, that's what I was just going saying. We have the rent. We have the first month rent, and we have the deposit. We literally just need someone to help us and give us. Not even give us because we're renting it off them, but leave us rent the property off them. We're not even look. We're looking for a private rental. We're not even looking for a council house. But getting a private, like they wonder why there's so many people going on the council houses because it seems to be the only way. At some point, like I know people on the 15, 16 years that still haven't been offered a house. So like even at that, it seems hopeless. But like, yeah. it's just very, It's. Just, I felt yesterday, no, I really did feel defeated because I was just like, we're doing everything right. We want to move on to the next stage of our relationship yeah. and like start our family yeah, and have our own home and have independence. But. There's just no help out there or no luck with us. Or and do you ever kind no of reason. sit there with your head in your hands or does your partner sit there with his head in his hands and you're going, what are we doing wrong? Well, that was me all yesterday. That's all I kept saying to him. I was like, what are we doing wrong? What am I saying wrong in the emails? What? what we must be giving a different impression. But he's like, you're saying everything correct. But I know my partner is at work because I know he's at work and when he's on his breaks... He's looking, he's sending me properties. So then to me, I'm like, right, he's stressing out because he's on his break and he should be relaxing because he's doing like eight, nine, ten hour shifts. So and I know he's like, what? why is it taking us so long? Why is it so hard for us? So I know he is doing that and I'm trying to, I'm then trying to like help by sending as much emails off as I can. So we will get lucky. Like we're even going to the stage now, like we're looking as far as Mallow, Milton, Cartool, Cartline. We're looking that far. Yeah. At this stage, it sounds to me like you. you Some people, Emma, and I've talked to them over the years, they only want to go to here or they only want to go there. You'll go anywhere that there's a nice place for you and Darren. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like, we, like, we take a one bedroom apartment to a two bedroom apartment to a house, a one bedroom house. We take anything. We just want to be able to get on our feet. As I said, we're in our early 30s. We're at that stage where we want a family. We just need to be able to have someone say, right, we'll help. We have the rent, as I said, we have the deposit. That's no worries to us. We just need to find somewhere that will get us on our feet so we can start to have the life that we want. But mm. it's, it's like on hold at the moment because of that. You sound like, like you've got not, a great relationship, but, but does this put stress on you? No, because like Darren's the type of person where he'll, if I'm upset or I'm stressed, he calm me down and he talked to me and same with him, but we, we talked about everything. So like if I'm stressed, like last night, now I was saying to him, I was panicking about coming on here this morning and he was calming me down. He was like, just pretending you're speaking to me. But even yesterday morning when we found out the house that we were after playing for, it was gone. I was a bit upset and I was talking to him and he kind of calmed me down then as well. So we talk, we just talk about everything. There's nothing off limits with us. If I'm annoyed or upset or if he's denied or upset, we still talk. I might annoy him, but we do talk. We talk about everything, which is something I got from my own parents. Like they'll talk about everything and anything in the world. So like we have a strong relationship. So it's not even 
because that's what I was thinking. I was like, right, maybe they're not giving out places because they say it's a couple and they're not married and all that. But like, we have a stronger relationship than most married couples. And I know that for a fact myself. Yeah. And like, we're, as I said, we're jumping from house to house. So it's not like we're like waking up in the mornings together and going to bed together. Like, it's that's what's hard for us. Because I, I personally, myself, I want to have that family. I want to be able to be cooking dinners and making lunches and sitting on at night relaxing with my partner. And I know he wants to be doing that as well because we are at that stage. We're not young young ones and young fellas no more. Like we're in our thirties. We want to be able to sit down. It's just so hard. I know. It really is. And I like even there you no know, last night at of ten o'clock, Darren was still sending me places to email. <laughs> No. At 10 o'clock and he has work and I'm the same. I was like, there the morning, I'm sure I woke at like 7 because I just woke. And I was looking up property at that hour in the morning. And still, I'm still not getting any luck with no. all I'm getting. We'll get as far as the virtual viewing and then we'll send off like the two people or jobs, how we'll pay the rent, that we have the rent, that we'll take the 12-month lease. Everything they're asking, we're giving them. And after that, then I'll have no response. Or And then if it's a house that we really, really love, I'll email them back again and be like, oh, this property is gone. Now, PJ, I am going to say this. I won't say the area and I won't say the letting agency, but we did apply for a house about two weeks ago. Right. Like that, no, as I said, we're decent. We're a respectable couple, couple with jobs. We have the rent etc etc this house i emailed and they sent a virtual viewing and we actually loved it because it was what we we were looking for and i emailed them back i heard nothing for about three four days but then when i was online it was still up for rent so i emailed them and i was inquiring about it i was like i just wondering is it still up for rent we're really interested in it etc and they emailed me back saying it's gone it wasn't gone because it's still up for rent. The same house, the same property is still up for rent. So to me, they're they they're decided they decided included. they don't want to give it to you. Yeah, that would seem to yeah, be the way. Without, yeah, and without even meeting us, without but just going off the basis of an email, they're like, no. So like, granted, if it's for a family, I would respect that because I'm not. I I wouldn't take a two bedroom or three bedroom house off no family. Because like, I know how hard it is out there for people to be housed and get houses for their families, so I wouldn't do that. But like that's very like that's hard. That's hard. Disheartening when like yeah. you're not you're being judged solely off an email mm. without even being met in person. So, someone just got onto us here to say I'm listening to that girl. It's like my daughter's story. They've had to move from where they're living and they've emailed hundreds of properties. They have two small children. Her partner also has a 12-year-old son who stays with them at weekends. They're on the housing list and we've been told they'd have to go homeless to be considered yeah. for housing. Now, you're not even looking at the housing list. You're just looking for, no. for a, pl- a place. Look, there might well be so- I know. there might be someone listening this morning, Emma, who's got a place or who at least can help you because it sounds to me like... Yeah. And have you ever this might sound like a very silly question but ask him have you ever gotten back to anybody after they've said to you that such and such a place is gone or that you didn't get it or whatever have you ever emailed them back and said could I could you could you tell me uh, why we didn't get it or could you tell me is there something I did wrong 
Yeah, well, I haven't done that, but I did ring one particular lighting agency that seems to have a lot of the properties that out there for rent. I rang the, the I won't, I'm not sure if I can say what the prop, the, the lighting best agency not, best is. Best not, best not, best not. Yeah, but I was speaking to the girl in it. She was lovely. She actually was very helpful. And I actually turned around and I said, I feel very defeated today. Am I doing something wrong? A client and she asked for my information. She said, asked for my name, my number, my email. And she looked up my emails and she had a look through because she, she actually turned around to me. She said, Emma, we're easily getting up to a thousand emails per property per day. And they have that. And I, I actually went into shock when I heard that because I was thinking, right, maybe up to a hundred or something like that, but a thousand a day. She actually sounded stressed herself. So she looked at my email and I was like, could you let me know? Am I saying something wrong or doing something wrong? And she looked, she said, no, you're actually yeah. giving all the correct information that needs to be given that we're looking for the house. But he, she said the queues alone are so long just for the viewing. We're finding it so hard. To actually and and get tell me, have you, Craig has just sent a, a question in here. Emma, have, have you thought, given that, Darren has a really good job and, and you say that yours is good too and you're back full time soon. Have you thought about looking to get a mortgage to actually buy some place? Yeah, we have. We've been looking at that as well and we're still don't want to be putting a lot of stress on Darren and I don't want to be putting a lot of stress on myself. So we were after, we were talk, we talked about it, I think about was it two weeks ago and Darren wants to just give himself about 12 months to get save enough money so then he can go for himself. Because you need a deposit. Like, as I, yeah. You need a deposit, you see. And like, as I said, like, we want the family. So we what we, we know what we want. We just need a small bit of help or someone out there that's willing to give us, as I said, it's not even giving us, it's renting us a property for up to 12 months so we can get on our feet and do what we need to do then after that. All right, well, look. Like, I was even saying, Saying to Fiona yesterday, like even someone that's willing to give us an open lease and leave us, give us six months to get us on our feet. We're not, we're not being greedy. We just need somebody to help us out there that was willing to give us rental property well, for a few months to a year. Yeah, I know. I, Fiona told me that you were very nervous. I'll tell you one thing now. You've, yeah. made, you've made your case brilliantly. And you've, you've, you. you've been fantastic in the way you've explained everything to me. Emma, I wish you luck. I'm wondering if anybody's got any advice for you or any help or might be able to point you in a direction you haven't tried before. But listen, I wish you and Darren the very best luck. If you do get anything, come back to me and let me know, will you? I will, of course. And thanks very much for taking the call. And if there is anyone with advice or help, I would really appreciate it. And I know Darren would as well. All right. Look after yourself and the best to Darren. Thank you, Emma. 1857 Cork's Gold Imro Award winning sports show. Right, right here, right then. The score on Cork's 96 FM. Join me, Trevor Welsh, Sundays from 2 for the best music mix and all the latest sport as we focus on a huge week for the Republic of Ireland as they look for their first points in World Cup qualifying and both Cove Ramblers and Cork City look to bounce back in their respective league games. Right here, right then. Join Trevor Welch for The Score this Sunday from 2pm with Firebird Heating Solutions. If you're building, think of the Firebird Air Source Heat Pump with underfloor heating and heat recovery. See firebird.ie. Right here, right now. On Cork's 96FM. Can we just talk? 
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Quartz 96 FM. If anybody's got any ideas for Emma and Darren, uh, we'll, we'll put you in touch with them. You feel so sorry for them. They're not looking for anything for free. They're not looking for any handout. They're just looking for a place to start their life together. 31 and 34. You feel so sorry for... I, I would hate to be. I'd so hate to be in their position today. Actually, the story that it's distracting from, that Coveney Gate and Merrion Gate and all that kind of crap gate, is distracting from today is this 20 billion euro plan called Housing for All, where the government says it will spend 20 billion over five years and deliver 160,000 houses, 300,000 by 2030, 90,000 social houses, 36,000 affordable purchase houses, 18,000 cost rental houses and 156,000 private houses for purchase or for rental. They want to reach 33,000 a year by 2025. Now, it's it's the same reheated lunch as we've heard a hundred times from previous housing ministers. You wonder, can they make it work this time? But it's very cold comfort to Emma or to Darren. Currently in Cork, for every rental property that's listed, that's suitable for a couple, there's over 250 applicants that meet all the qualifying conditions. There's just not enough property. If Emma and Darren have good jobs, why don't they get a mortgage? Well, as Craig, that was Craig's question. Well, they're actually even thinking about that, but Darren would like to save up some money because remember, you don't just need to get a mortgage as a first-time buyer. You need a hectic amount of money to actually get that mortgage, to get it as a deposit. And uh, formerly Mouse Cork, whoever you are on Twitter, says it's also almost impossible for get building builders to get accommodation up to spec on Twitter Kevin says how long have you been on there talking about housing until the state directly starts to build like they did in the 50s into the 70s you're going to be listening to stories like this why aren't we talking about the match well what is there left to say about the match except that Portugal were playing with 12 men and one of them was the referee (laughs) that's as simple as it was Brilliant. Although, you know what? It was one of the first Irish international matches that you could watch with a smile on your face in a long time. Because, you know what? Stephen and Kenny, compared to other international managers, doesn't have a whole lot to choose from at the moment. But, by goodness, he's getting the best out of him. Which, to be fair, was what everyone supporting him said he would do. He'll get the very best out of the players you give him. And by God, he did that last night. But that bloody rap. Anyway, 1850-715-996. In Scotland, uh, they're trying a four-day week, officially, uh, at national level. BBC have this today. You'll work four days without a loss of pay. Now, we've talked about this a long time, and we've talked about two people who did it and companies who tried it. But now, in Scotland at least, it's going to be official policy to try to get people onto a four-day week. They've done a lot of it in Iceland, and they've done it in New Zealand. And they can work your hours back, or you can do longer days, but you won't lose any money on it. And, of course, as we all start thinking about going back into the office... um, those of us who've been working from home for the last 18 months, well, you know, it'd be a lovely idea, wouldn't it? Is it practical? That's a question for another day. But here's a man who's already done it. 
uh, David Sweeney runs a couple of food trucks, one of them with the best name you've ever heard in your entire life. But you've already done it. David Sweeney. Sweeney, David, good morning to you. PJ, how are you? How are you, sir? Now, well, look, can I just say you're lucky to get me today because I'm actually off tomorrow. I see. Tomorrow is your, your weekly day off. Tomorrow, we, so I obviously my food trucks is a side business I have with a couple of guys. Yeah. Uh, some friends of ours are up there in the cricket club in the Maradike, but I'm a solicitor. Uh, I'm qualified a good number of years. I have my own business, SweeneySolicitors.ie, and we're in business about 11 years. Yeah. Uh, we have a staff of six, including myself, we're based here in South Terrace. Uh, and like everyone, the last 18 months has been tough. Um, the downtime at the start, I suppose, of the first lockdown in 2020 probably allowed, well, me anyway, sometimes to think about what we're doing, think about the processes that we're traditionally doing uh, coming into work, think about the systems that are there and maybe starting to question them a little bit. Uh, I got to spend some downtime with my family. I have two little girls at home. Uh, if I could give a little shout out to my little girl, Nell. She's starting school this week. She's not starting to until 10 o'clock. So hello, Nell. Have a great day. Okay. Um, but it just... I saw all this happening in New Zealand. I have a good friend living there. He's a construction company. He brought it in himself. Uh, and I've been over and back with him for the past year. He has, at, he has it in his business for the last year. And I just thought, look, something has to change. We can't continue to go back the way it was. I think it's too tough. In the legal game especially, mm. Like this job is relentless sometimes. Sometimes you feel like you're coming in, you're doing an exam every day. It's pretty heavy concentration. You're like We're a personal injury, medical negligence law firm. Uh, so we're dealing with very serious matters day in, day out. We're helping people all the time uh, and it can be quite stressful. It's quite relentless. Mm-hmm. And I've been looking at how do we help myself, my own well-being, um, physical and mental health and the well-being of the staff. And I saw the four-day week and we talked about it about a month ago to bring it in. Uh, I actually put up a, fo- a post on LinkedIn. It got a huge reaction. I think there's something like 20,000 views on it, huge commentary on it, lots of people interested to see how it's working, mm-hmm. lots of people watching, lots of people, maybe they're not brave enough or mad enough to do it, uh, but interested in seeing how it works out. So we've decided our opening hours for the solicitor business will be Monday to Thursday, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. We don't work Fridays. We have a three-day weekend now, uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday mm-hmm. off, and back again on the Monday morning. We have no loss of output. We have no loss of business hours. Uh, it's all compacted into the four days. Mm-hmm. For, this is our second. We've brought it in. This is our, we've actually this is our second week of doing it. So we've done it all last week and this week. We're finished today at six o'clock. We won't. The office will not be open tomorrow. Oh, now, obviously, in the legal business, there's lots of things outside it that are outside of our control, like court dates and. Yeah. Other matters. And look, we'll just deal with those day rise. Yeah, if a court date comes on a Friday, then you'll deal with it, obviously. Of course you will, yeah. We, um, uh, and, and these are just things. We, it's not, it's, I don't think it's going to be a perfect system, but no system is. Yeah. I think this system is definitely worth trying. Um, Productivity-wise, from the staff's point of view, I, I think we've actually done more in the last two weeks working for it. Now, as I said, we're not, there's no hours been lost. There's no loss of income for anybody. There's no loss of productivity. Yeah. But I think when people see... Um, the, the tangible benefit of having an extra day off in their week to do a, have a personal day, catch up on your personal business, whatever you need to do, you can go do that on your Friday now as well. How, time. Did you, how did you choose the day, Friday or Monday or any other? Um, how did you, like, that's a, good, a lot of that's places a good in the old days would take a half, like in the olden days, the yeah. olden days, 70s and even, people took a half day on a Wednesday. Uh, but, yeah. but, but how did you choose the I, day? Um, I think if we were to do the Wednesday, 
I don't think you get the full break because if you know if anyone takes a long weekend or bank holiday, you do feel really refreshed coming back into work on the Tuesday. Yeah. I think the three days in a row is very beneficial. I think it works better. Yeah. I think it also works better from a work point of view, where um your your the work process you're doing isn't stagnated, so you're not going in for two days, breaking it, and go back in for two days. I my system, our office works better. I think, um when we know we're just going in Monday to Thursday and we're flat out for those four days. And look, we are flat out. It is very busy here. Yeah. Um. And what, Friday or Monday, yeah, we thought about that. We spoke about it. I think, um, from my point of view, from a legal business, is that like I, I'm the only solicitor here in Sweeney Solicitors, and I have superb staff around me. Um, I generate the work. So as a solicitor, the work flows for me. So I dictate. I would do full file review usually every Monday, and I could have 150 dictations uh, dropped into the dictation folder right. uh, to be worked at. So, so in other so words, Monday is a day you need to be working. I think so. For me, anyway, yeah, it's it's a good start. And then over the next two to three days, all that work then has worked through the system. Plus, you know, new inquiries, telephone, whatever it is. I'm also an notary public, so people call into here if they need documents. Yeah. And just one other so thing, on. David. Like tomorrow yeah. now, like it being Friday. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How quickly does it take to get a client base used to this? That you have a client with, say, with any kind of an ongoing yeah. client, like they'll ring you tomorrow. <laughs> if yeah. they ring you tomorrow, what that's will really, they get? That's really good. So, yeah. So what we've done is we have put together, for anyone that emails, we have a really nice out-of-office explaining why we're doing this. So it's not just we're not here Callback Monday. Our out-of-office is basically the story of why we're doing this, why we're, we we felt this whole pressure was relentless. We wanted to try something extra. We I respect my staff. I trust my staff. Uh, and for all, all of our well-beings, we are trying. Now, this is a trial. This may not work out, but my gut feeling is that it will. And my gut feeling is that other offices will start to take it up. Um, so we have a, the first the first point that someone sends an email, a, they get a really nice out of office back explaining we're not here. Uh, we'll be back to them on Monday. Now, in our type of work, there is urgent matters, but like there isn't either. You know, most people can wait on, for, on, for a day. Um, if we get a phone call, we have the um, the out of office on, the voicemail, and so be it. You know, if, if we lose business because of that, I'm willing to take it, to chance it, uh, mm. to take that risk. And how I long are you going to trial it for? Uh, oh, uh, definitely till Christmas, right. and I think that even I, I, I just I feel it's the right thing to do. I think it works here. Yeah. I think that if other business do it and people just get used to the idea. Um, yeah. Now there is other. I, I think in Scotland what they're doing is that they're saying you can work your hours that suit you over the five days. Now from a small business owner, if the business was open on a Friday, I don't think I'd ever be off because you're you're always there. Do, do you know what I mean? If I the don't. office was still here and I wasn't here, I would still be conscious of things happening here. Um, and that would then, I think if I was at home um, with my family, I don't think I'd be properly present. I think I'd be looking at the phone, I'd be doing things. But as, as you said, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's something worth looking at. I think it's definitely, my friend in New Zealand, uh, he played rugby here in Cork with us in, in Sunday as well. His construction, he's, he sent me an essay of how happy he is, how productive his staff is, how they enjoy it. They come back into work in a Monday morning, refreshed. They've had three days off. They're ready to yeah. go again. No lethargy. Morale oh, listen, a, long, a long weekend is, is, is absolutely great. David, I wonder how, why others aren't are afraid to try it. I guess it's it's a big leap, it's change, and we're uncomfortable with change. But talking to any others in your in your own business, for example, in your own line of work, solicitors, anyone else you know looking at trying it? Or has anyone said you're mad? Oh, sorry, alarm on the phone. Uh, anyone, I, I think a lot of people are keen. I think a lot of people, like, like, like I'm, I'm unusual in that I, I have my own business, so we would, uh, general practice, we'd be, not, we'd be uh, considered. Lots of other people have big firms, at 100 solicitors, 50 solicitors, so I, I'm quite... 
different in that I suppose I can dictate this and it, with the staff on board, uh, we can all do it together. What I recommended, 100%, I know we're only two weeks in, it's probably a short time uh, to give it any proper merit. Um, I, as I said, I, it's not a perfect. Uh, I think it's it'll work. The benefits of the well-being of the staff, productivity of staff, time off, family time, the big picture, and uh, you know we all use that phrase work-life balance. Yeah, I think that far outweighs any possible loss of business. You, know, I might, you, I might you sound like a fella that it'd be damn good to work for, and 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 I think it's a great <laughs> idea of yours. Tell me, tell me about Grilly McGrill. <laughs> I take it this Grilly is a play on boaty face or something like that. Well, do you know what? I, we named this, uh, so there's two, Trevis in it. Jason Woodard, I don't know if you remember. The I know Jason, he used to work here. Yeah. City, yeah. He had huckleberries. Then, the, 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 yeah. Exactly. And so and then Frank Brennan is the general manager of Republic Work in South Mal. Uh, and, yeah, uh, Frank too, yeah. Space. So we all got together in about January. We were, lockdown was on. We were, you know, it was all unusual for everybody. And uh, out of probably boredom, um, we all saw this food, this horse box in Limerick. Uh, took a chance on it, bought it without seeing it, brought it down to the uh, Cork uh, one night, uh, painted it pink, and then we've we've kind of reconstituted Jason's Huckleberry Donuts into the Huck Truck. So we sell mini hot fresh donuts. Uh, we're based up in the Cricket Club in the Mardike. Yeah. So we've hot donuts and coffee. And then we and we, we actually got really lucky because we, we got the last of the 5K lockdown and then we got the last of the 10K lockdown because obviously everyone was in the city. There was a lot of foot traffic into Fitzgerald Park up to Mardike. So it, we, we had a really good first couple of months. And then um, what was happening, a lot of people were approaching the cricket club and we, we were like, that's it, one, one, because we all have uh, families and other businesses and things. One truck is enough. But we've, we were finding out that every week people were contacting the cricket club directly to see could we, they get in beside us and we just thought it might dilute what we're doing. We'd have no control of, of you know, the, how the business has been run. So we found another truck. Uh, we bought it off um, two chefs. Um, that was laid up for 18 months. We actually bought that without seeing it as well. We had a lot. Of, we actually turned that round in 10 days, the Grilly Mac Grill Grill. We bought it on a Thursday and had it working on a Saturday. And a big shout out to Urban Design and Ban Colleague. They were just phenomenal in the refit. Yeah. And then Frank Brennan, uh, he just he actually put a new roof on it and reconstituted the inside of it. Uh, but Grilly Mac Grill Grill is, is um, uh, the inspiration is from this, the second American style street food, but it's toasted sandwiches. So right. there's loads of toasted, these toasty trucks have exploded in Dublin over the That's last right. year, 18 That's months. Right. Uh, and we're kind of on that so we, we just we basically do two sandwiches a toasted cheese and it's right. four types of a signature cheese and a ham and cheese right uh, and, and it's, then and Green it's just came about I love the name I love the name it's 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 like Boaty McBoatface it's great well, I didn't when we opened now we I think it was Jason took up the name of Grady McGregor but we I had no idea the first couple of weeks we're serving, I was up there. We all have different roles. We have great staff up there as well, actually manage it, our, uh, yeah. run it day to day. We're open Wednesdays to Sundays. People were saying, oh, like Bodie McBoatface. I had no idea what they were saying. So I looked it up. So I don't know if you know. Yeah, so we know. So was the name of some uh, royal boat That's back right. in the 90s. A, 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 and they opened it up to the public or something. <laughs> And Bowley McBoat. Take the Mickey out of it. And, yeah. and that's how you got Grilly McBoat. You know what? Yeah. David, I wish you well with it and with the four day week. I've just got to go to the UK for my last call before 10. So, very quickly, uh, thanks ever so much. Um, so, David, good luck with that and the four day week and, and all that. Now, yesterday we were talking about um, going overseas for weight loss surgery. And we've talked to some success stories like Leah and like, like Effie. But the dangers, we were pointing to those with, with a doctor in Dublin. Also, there's a great craze at the moment for going overseas to get your teeth veneered. And I'll be talking to a dentist later on about the dangers of doing that. Don't be getting a plane 
to, you can end up with an awful lot more problems than you're actually solving. But quickly before 10, let me go to the UK and a man who used to work in Cork a long time ago and our paths briefly crossed in the radio world. Eamon Kelly, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you doing? Good and good to speak with you. It's been quite a while. You're trying to get a birth cert. Yes, I am. Um, yeah, absolute pleasure to talk to you. Having a bit of a problem, and I wondered, the reason why I contacted you was because I'm wondering if any of your listeners are having a similar issue. So, I tried to order, well, I did order a birth certificate from HSC website early June, 11th of June. And there's a little note on there saying that it can take, due to COVID, understandably, a little longer, so up to 30 working days. Well, here we go. I think it's about 60 working days now and no birth certificate. And I've emailed them a number of times, in fact, four different times. And all you get is an automatic response email saying, um, don't worry, we're looking into it. And then nothing else happens. So they, t- they take your money straight away, but you don't get a birth certificate. And I was wondering if anybody else is having the same problem. And what can you do about it? Because it's not like you can go and shop and, and, and look for it elsewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And look, you are, you are Irish, so you're, lo- you're not looking yeah. for anything special. No, no, absolutely. I was born in Dublin. So, you know, it's just I've misplaced my birthday. I mean, when was the last time you even, you know, set eyes on your birth certificate? So, funnily enough, I need it because my son wants to apply for Irish citizenship, even though he was born in in the UK. And he can have Irish citizenship because of me. But he needs my birth to prove it. And I can't get a copy of it because they won't send it to me. I don't know why. So that's the situation. How much does it cost, by the way? It's 20 euro, and I think plus two euros to post it to the UK. Right, right. So you paid your 22 euros in June. Yep. And this Um, is September. Yeah, we're knocking on now three months. Um, yeah, and and see, the problem is, PJ, I you know, you, you email, you get that automatic response, and there's nowhere else to go. And I've got to be honest with you, if, if it's almost three months, I don't think I'll get it. And what do I do then? It's an interesting one. I wonder if anyone has come across it. You know we've had very diff- big problems with people getting passports here. So it's not unusual to hear about birth charts being delayed. Good to catch up with you. It's been a long time since our paths crossed in a radio studio, Eamon. When I can get back to, uh, it's, it's a genuine plan of mine to do a little road trip with my sons. And I'm going to be coming down towards Cork and I might contact you. We'll go for a pint. I'd love it. I'd love it. Cheers, man. That's been a long time ago we worked together. Uh, Eamon Kelly, uh, that's, he's, he's Irish. His son wants to be a, an Irish citizen. He needs to get his birth cert to get his son Irish. The, the circumstances doesn't really matter. He applied online for birth cert, paid online for birth cert nearly three months ago. And he still hasn't had it. Anybody else in that particular position today? 1850-715-996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96FM.ie.
The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96FM. Yeah, it seems to be one or two more people now who got onto the birth cert's office, gave their phone number, they got a call, gave their details and had their cert fairly quickly. So, yeah, maybe Eamon needs to do that. 1850-715-996. Haven't spoken to John Carmody in a little while. John from Aaron. He's got an unusual request of the news agents of Cork and Ireland uh, to talk about in just a sec. But remember, if you are considering going overseas to get your teeth veneered, hey, listen, it's the big fashion thing at the moment. You're getting your teeth veneered. If you're thinking of going overseas, listen up because it can go horribly wrong for you. I will check up with our dentist in a wee while. But first of all, John, you want... Hold on a while. You want hunting magazines put out of sight, put on the top shelf of any shop. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, uh, PJ. Thanks for picking up on this. Um, And just to let your listeners know where we're coming from now, first of all, with this. um, Yesterday, uh, the Minister for Heritage, the Green Party Minister, Malcolm Byrne, announced the the season for shooting um, basically opened yesterday. For the full month of September now, various types of red list birds will be shot in the countryside from from people taking part in this whole um, shooting world. So obviously animal rights campaigners are coming out and we're trying to bring attention to not only just the, the shooting of these birds at the minute, but there's like right now on, on any street um, in Cork City at the minute, if you go into most of the, the news agents that have magazines, you'll actually find that a lot of the shooting magazines are literally at eye level of young people. Um, and we think that just like cigarettes, they should be put away um, because, you know, they're obviously just very impressionable young people going into these shops and they're seeing these guns. And it's obviously not it's planting a, a, an uncompassionate kind of a seed or taught into their mindsets that sh- shooting and killing birds um, is, is perfectly fine when it's not. And that's why I want to talk about this this morning, actually. I, I To be honest, it's, it's a long time since I saw uh, any kind of a magazine like that in a newsagent. How many of them are out there? How many are published in the country, do you know? Believe well, I would have thought magazines are a thing of the past. Actually, well, and and the, the are as a matter of fact, they're they're slowly and surely becoming more rare. But there is still shooting magazines out there, and um, for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking around to see kind of what shops and what stores and a lot of your high street high street uh, news agents are carrying these magazines at the minute. But there is a good there's a couple of art. Um, couple of ones out there actually PJ that you would see I mean as a matter of fact any of your listeners right now if they're in a, a news agents in, in the next couple of hours if they're going into a shop or something take it and check it out and you'll probably see what I'm on about and it's it's not fun at all it's it's gory as a matter of fact yeah. and, and as we said yesterday there are seedy magazines you'll see people um, in these magazines with these big uh, rifles and uh, shotguns um, uh, yeah. and they're but you want to put them up there on well. the top shelf with Playboy they need to be stuck up with the porn as a matter of fact um, you know, impressionable young people are coming into these shops and if they're too young to see people um, in the nude, um, then anything like this, they should be um, really 18 and over before they'll be able to, allowed to be even hold this magazine in their hands, as a matter of fact. It should be put away. As a matter of fact, I wish they were taken off the shelves full stop, but the reality is is that they're going to be on sale for, for another while to come, so yeah. we would be urging news agents to stick them up right with the, with the, the porn, for sure. The only thing about that, and I remember a time when you could get no magazines like that in this country and if you had if, as a young fella if we knew anyone going to London for the weekend you know you wanted them to sneak it into the suitcase hey we were kids <laughs> we did that but it only made people want to get it more and then the minute it became available sure 
God, it's not not fun anymore now. If you if you hide the stuff away, you only make people want it more, John. Well, good point, and that's very true, actually, and that goes without saying for a lot of things. I I think that in many ways I'm not going to fear it a hell of a lot that these magazines are on sale because there's less and less people buying them. There's more and more young people wide to animal suffering and animal sentience, and they probably won't buy into what they're seeing on the front cover of those magazines. And when they open up those magazines to see the animals being gunned down and their helpless bodies lying on the, on, on, on the grass and with people standing beside them, posing for photographs, those days are done and dusted, I'd like to think. Um, I just wish they would put the guns down and maybe find something else to shoot. <clears throat> well... Uh, like you say, shooting season is underway since yesterday. It runs on, I don't know, and it runs until when, John? Well, the the, the main season now will go, um, it'll go on for a couple of months actually, but the, the main season will be for the month of September. And there's a lot of uh, red list uh, birds. The TD Breedsmith reached out to Malcolm Byrne of the Green Party um, back in April, I think it was. Now, if there's any Green Party members listening in, and there's very few, um, and they're all seem to be hanging on by a thread at the minute because they're sick to death of this party. Another story, another day, obviously. But Breedsmith reached out to Malcolm Byrne and she asked him, could he take these birds um, off of the list of birds that will be legally killed. Um, and obviously he didn't do anything like that. And the, the licenses have been given out now. So as we speak, there's obviously people, you know, dusting down their rifles and shining them up and getting ready to go out and take these birds out. And that is the reality um, of what's going to happen um, in the coming days, for sure. It's it's an ancient sport and hobby, John. You can't just ban it, can you? I'm glad you brought that up, actually, PJ. And here's the thing. You're right. As a matter of fact, it's old-fashioned. It's like hair coursing. It's like greyhound racing. All these things we've done back in, as I said, the 50s, 60s, 70s and 80s. I don't know what it was, but it was back then when we hadn't got a clue. We mm. were far ignorant. Well, um, shooting is still Olympic about sport. All these issues. Well, okay, it's they don't shoot animals, but... as a matter of fact. Yeah. Because, like, and I'll tell you this for anyone that's listening in that lives in the countryside, and most people, decent people in the countryside, would be opposed to this type of killing. You can actually hear the shots going off. And, and God knows what kind of um, birds are being taken out. And it's it's laws, lawlessness, as a matter of fact, in the countryside at the moment. There's no one there from the National Parks and Wildlife Service monitoring who's going to be shooting or what they're going to be shooting. And even at night time as well, this will be going on day and night, as a matter of fact, as well. They'll be getting back on their, like, the kind of these um, mm. combat gear that they put on. And they make a big, bloody spectacle. I think what you fact, want, John, and we've talked many times, you and I, over the years, I think what you what you want is to ban all hunting at the end of the day. I do. I absolutely do. And you know what, PJ, times have really shifted so much as well. And I can tell you here and now, and this is the God's honest truth, that these conversations genuinely do work. The morning conversations with yourself and so many other decent presenters around the country, they just give us a chance at least to air what we have to say and let the listeners um, take on board and do their own fact-finding. But this does change people's perspective. Sometimes it gets under the skin of people and sometimes it gets on their nerves and they want us mm. to shut up um, and to be put away in a corner. But the reality is, is that there's more and more information out there now and more and more people are becoming kinder. But I do genuinely think that this shooting, hair coursing and all those other yeah. um, cruel blood sports are fast becoming a thing in the past. And as a matter of fact, most young people probably won't want anything got to do with it anyway. No. Some species of birds, I'm thinking in terms of seagulls, for example, are they're scavengers, and some people would call them vermin. Certain creatures are classed as vermin. What's wrong with hunting them? 
That's a good question because seagulls are back in the headlines again, as a matter of fact. And as I'm looking out the window now, it's like uh, Kilkee or Ballybunion at the minute. I was seen from Alfred Hitchcock, um, pigeon, that there's pigeon, um, pigeons and, and seagulls everywhere, as a matter of fact. But you know what? We're, we're, we're pushing them inland, as a matter of fact. And it's like the... The, the foxes as well we're, we're ransacking their environment we're sucking up what fish are left in the in the oceans and they're coming inland as a result and what's happening is doing what we do best because we're the biggest bullies as a matter of fact um, we're, we're now blaming them that they're the ones causing the problems and yes they are swooping down in on top of us as, as we're having a sandwich <laughs> or as some people are you know eating their ice cream and they're, and they're hoping that you know the birds can get a bite to yeah. eat. Yeah, <laughs> but 16, the reality is, is sixteen that weeks we're tomorrow. This problem. Yeah, sixteen weeks tomorrow is is Christmas Eve. Uh, am, am I a bad man for wanting a turkey for Christmas? I'm not here to point a finger at anyone, PJ. As a matter of fact, I don't have all the answers. I'm not perfect myself. You'd prefer we didn't, though, wouldn't you? But the reality is, is that I mean, and I hope that we can talk about this in a bit more detail in the run up to Christmas, really? is that tens of thousands of those poor birds are now being bred and they'll be, you know, there it's 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 just another problem that we will have to take a look at. But I am very encouraged that we're taking, you know, so many kinder steps in our lives to be kinder. And as I said before, as well, if this is really important, actually, PJ, that, you know, Maybe you will have your turkey on Christmas, and that's your There's choice. There's no maybe about it, but, and I will. <laughs> Sorry, no, but I will. But and me have. And the thing here is, is that for anyone listening as well, is that if you want to do that thing, go and do it. But as consumers, we have an onus in us to know how these animals are reared and killed. Um, and more so, more importantly, there's there's humane kind options out there for all of this now. So that, you know, any kind of basically any supermarket that we're going to know choosing a different oil in that grocery store is um, is easier than ever before. But whatever you can do to be kinder towards animals, right. I think is to be commended for sure. All right, John, listen, always good to catch up with you. That's John Camedy, uh, animal rights campaigner and commentator. Uh, appreciate you being on the opinion as always. And we have a good laugh together, me and John, over the years. We don't always agree, but unlike some people, John Carmody has never asked me Asked for me to be cancelled for disagreeing with him. And that's where he'll always be welcome on the opinion line. 1857 the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Courts 96 FM. John, you were listening to my conversation with John Carmody, uh, and you've called the Opinion Line. Good morning. Hello, good morning, PJ. Thanks for having me on. Delighted. What would it say? Um, well, look, the man is a very uh, well-studied man. He came across very eloquently and very, very educational. But I'm just wondering... You know, you get, you get their opinion from a lot of the kind of animal rights um, advocates and, and, and activists that it's only about saving the, the animals. But I'm pretty sure he does. But I'd like to know, what, uh, at what level does he understand the existence of these gun licenses and gun clubs and the actual um, participation and an organisation of the, the these um, shoots because you know, I, think they, he, I think he does understand that it's a big thing. He does understand that it's a sport that is, you know, held in high esteem by a certain section of society. But his argument would be, it's old hat, time to ditch it, lads. 
Yeah, but I, I, I you know, okay, I can I can understand that in the terms of shooting the the bird out of the sky, but I would I would say that because of its cl- short season, the actual culling of animals and the shooting of animals is only a very small part of it because. There are there are competitions of, of shooting, you know, the clays out of the sky, and there's, you know, obviously. I don't believe he has any problem with clay shooting or anything like that. And it, it, it's purely it's purely down to the animals. Oh yeah, I imagine it's animals yeah. and birds. I'm not. He, he's obviously gone off the line, but I don't believe John Carmody would have any issue with clay well, he, pigeon shooting or target shooting or anything like that. He, well, he seemed to be really against even the existence of these guns and the gun magazines because. Like these magazines aren't purely advocating the, you know, the the blowing to smithereens of little feathered friends out of the sky. You know, these if you, if if you look through these magazines, it's about the the the, the camaraderie, the, the the clubmanship, the you know the the God, you might even laugh at this. The fashion, the clothing range is huge. You know, it's <laughs> I know. Do, do you do you shoot yourself? Um, I, I did for a while. My, I let my license slip because I've, I've, my priorities in my life shifted. I've got two small children and my extracurricular activity time is spent walking the, through the parks and, and yeah. playgrounds and, you know, such. Um, I, I did for a while and I have many friends who, who still do um, or, or did COVID, like I said, COVID um, has, has all but dried up the existence of the gun clubs um, because you couldn't come together. You yeah. know, you couldn't have a gun meet. Um, and, like, I, I was actually saddened by the fact that without the, the regular shoots, I live in Cargilline and I don't see any pheasants. I don't see any, I, I don't see any of the, the birds that would be reared for these shoots on the you know on the ditches or walking the fields. Obviously, there are still some. I'm not saying they don't exist without the the gun clubs. But recently, in the last year and a half, when I've driven the the small roads and the by roads around Cargline and Manan Bridge and stuff, the amount of wild birds you see in the field they've they've really diminished. And that's down to the fact that the gun clubs aren't breeding them. How now? Sorry. How do you make that connection? Because if the gun clubs aren't shooting the birds. How are the birds diminishing anyway? Well, because I can tell you, gun clubs will put a couple of thousand birds in, into the field at the, at, uh, before the season, at the start of the summer, so that they'd have a long summer of feeding while, uh, uh, in the wild and, and getting to the side. So they're growing their own targets? Oh, God, yeah, you have to. The wild stock isn't there, Peter. I wouldn't have known this now. Tell me more. Oh, so yeah, they're growing yeah. their own targets? They are. So basically what happens is um, there'll be hatcheries, especially in England, where you'll buy, you'll buy um, pheasants, small pheasant chicks by the hundreds and thousands. And they'll come and then you'll, you'll put them into hatcheries um, and they'll essentially, they themselves will head out, out into the fields and out into the woods. Right. And then what happens is the farmers and the, club, the gun club members will spend time over the summers when there's no shooting going on, finding them, finding where they're roosting, finding where they're growing, and plan out a shoot. Right. And, and I'm, I'm not sure, have you seen a shoot where, you know, you'd have 20 or 30 people called beaters 
would walk through a um, would walk through a forestry or walk through fields and disturbing then them. And they'll, they'll, yeah, they'll, they'll they'll cause them to you know fly up into the air and. Then down to the, the, it's not like shooting fish in a barrel, TJ. You know, there there is a huge amount of skill involved in it. Mm-hmm. Um, like <laughs> I've been on shoots where there's more there's more cartridges lying on the ground than there are birds, yeah. um, and that's not that's not hard. But you know, it, it's not a gimme. And and you know, the farmers are. Paid. What's the pleasure in it, John? Well, it's. I suppose it's 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 not really about killing the birds. It's about getting together with your pals. And and having a having a, a Saturday or a Sunday out in the the countryside, you know, walking fields. I know guys who go there for six or seven hours, mm. and they never fire a single shell. Yeah, you know, they're out there with their dogs. Could you not just have someone go out like these spotters go out? Could they not just put up targets and and bottles and and things and sh- shoot at them? Well, I suppose the show of skill, and I, this will sound very oh, bad. Some people, the show of skill is to try and shoot a bird that's about the size of a, a normal Coca-Cola bottle. And pheasants can fly at 40 and 50 kilometres an hour across the, the, the sky. Yeah. And you have to try and draw a line on one of these birds and then hope that you get it. Yeah. Now, I must say, I've, I've never been at a, a, a bird shoot, but I've been at a, a, a scene, a clay pigeon shoot. And, and I would have to tell you, I agree with you, the skill is just phenomenal. But I can tell you, the clay, the clay pigeon shoot is a lot easier than bird shoot. Is it? Well, you know where a clay pigeon is coming out of. That, yeah. you, know, you know the trap. Like, they're in front of you. Whereas if you're walking through this countryside... You've no idea when a bird will pop up in front of you. Same. You and and you've no idea which which direction that bird is going to take off. You, you you gave it up. You said because you had a couple of small kids and they, I, they do eating I, to your free. Would you go back to it? I would, but I tell you, um, would you like your children to do it? Uh, well, my my wife, I, I pictures of my wife when we started going out. Um, I, I we went up to my brother. He lives in Kildare, and there's a fantastic farm up in in uh, Clay. And he had clay pigeon shooting, and it was one of the first. <laughs> it was one of the first days we went on, and they're great memories. <laughs> you went on a clay pigeon shooting as a date. Well, you know what I mean. Like I, 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 we went to visit my 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 family. I, I brought my girlfriend to introduce her to members of my family, and I said, "You know what I love doing while I'm up here with my brother? I love going shooting clay pigeons. Come on, we'll go." shooting clay pigeons have you ever done it before and she had never held a gun in her life and she she found it very entertaining and and you know quite a, a unique way of, of spending whatever about clay pigeons how does she feel about shooting live ones i suppose she like she wouldn't be all gone in it yeah you know she wouldn't be all gone in it. she has an uncle who used to shoot ducks and and pheasants so she wouldn't. It wouldn't be an alien um, existence to her, but you know, it wouldn't be something she'd be saying. Go on, stick on your boots there and go out and get get the Sunday dinner. Like you know, she's um, no, she's. I suppose she'd be like most of the population, um, kind of. Yeah. No, it's nine, just nine, It's an interesting conversation, and I'm glad you called us. But you you reckon that there's more to this than just John's or wish he, to ban all hunting. Well, no, well, I'm, I'm, that's what I want to try and understand. 
Is he against the existence of guns? Is he against the shooting of animals? No, just the shooting of animals, just the culling of animals. He's, he's, against, he's against the hurting of animals in any way. I can, that, that much I can say for him. Yeah. Well, look, I, you know, unnecessary destruction of animals is, is a, a very strange existence, especially in this, this day and age. But, you know, there is such economy in, in most of it. And I know I know most people say, ah, come on, that doesn't justify the existence of, of you know, slaughter or, or anything like that. But I suppose when you, when you kind of think about if you remove animal agriculture out out of out, out of a society you 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 have you have to you have to provide something else you know there are farmers, yeah. Yeah. there are farmers who subsidize part of their year to this by allowing shooting on the land by allowing shooting on the, and then on the other the other side of it is there are people out there who pest control you know, and if, if you were to ban and make it illegal for anyone to shoot... Yeah. Well, I know we have the deer cull every year and people say that if it wasn't for the deer cull, the deer would take over parts of the country. John, listen, we could stay talking all day, but I do appreciate your calling the opinion line just for another side of the story. Thanks very much. That's John Boiling uh, responding to John Carr. I'd love to know what you think, though. Hugh's right here. John Carmody would want no animal ever hurt and you have to respect him for that. But John Boiling says, look, it's a sport. It's a heritage. It's heritage. It's tradition. And banning it isn't as simple as that. And I honestly don't know where I come down on it. I really don't. We've got a couple of uh, voice notes, one in particular to do with birth certs. Remember talking to Eamon, the 410 Eamon's in the UK. He's trying to get his Irish birth cert so he can help his son become an Irish citizen. And he's having trouble. He's waiting three months for his birth cert, which he paid for. We got this. We got this WhatsApp message. Here we go. Hang on. Hi, I'm in a similar situation as the last caller. Um, I paid for my birth certificate and my marriage certificate just over a month ago and still no sign of it. I need both of them because we are trying to adopt our foster daughter and there is no comeback, nothing happening whatsoever. Thank you. Bye. There you go. And by the way, we, we do love to get your WhatsApp voice messages. 083 396 96 If you don't have time for a call or you don't want to be writing out a big long text, 083 396 96 Pop us a voice note and we get you on the air that way. 1857 Opinion line on Corks 96 FM with McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Access all areas on Corks 96 FM. Your guide to nightlife on Leaside. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Corks Entertainment. Running through September, Cork Circus Factory has an upcoming adult program of evening training opportunities for aerial acrobatics and mixed disciplines. For more information on how to sign up, go to circusfactorycork.com. 
Live has released a handful of additional tickets for The Great Beyond, taking place at Balnacurra House on September 11th to 12th. Some of the artists featured include the Frank and Walters, Bell X1, Lisa Hannigan and more, and you can book in pods of four, five or six people from collins.ie. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a show play or exhibition coming up or any live streaming events by emailing us at aaa at 96fm.ie. Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on on Cork's 96FM. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. My conversations with John Carmody first and then John Boiling have gotten you thinking. So that's interesting. I'll come back to your, your comments on it a little bit later, but we're getting quite a few. We get bombarded with books here at the Opinion Line office. And that's a good thing. I'm not complaining. Uh, we get bombarded with books, books, all kinds of books. But I think people know that me personally, I love Irish crime and fiction and mystery books. And particularly, I have a very soft spot for them when they're written by women. Because I think we're right, we are turning out some of the best crime and such fiction literature in the world, uh, Irish women. And among them is a woman called Andrea Mara. Uh, I've read her books previously and we've spoken to Andrea on the show. Her new book, All Her Fault, is out now. And it focuses on every parent's worst nightmare. And when I read it, I said it had more twists and turns than a plate of spaghetti. Andrea's on the line now. Andrea, good morning to you. Good morning, PJ, and thank you for that quote. It's my favourite quote of all time. <laughs> no, I, I loved the book. I've read all your books, so I know I, I know your style. But but you're dealing here with every parent's greatest fear. So give us the basics. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So in the book, in the opening chapter, Marissa turns up to collect her son Milo from a play date. And it's his first play date with this particular child. So it was arranged by text. She's met the mom and arranged by text, turns up at the house that she was told to turn up at. But when the door is answered, it's opened by someone she's never met before. And this stranger has never heard of her son Milo and knows nothing about the play date. So she realizes then something is badly wrong. She's definitely at the address that she was given in the text, but there is no play date and her child has disappeared. So that's that's the first chapter. And it goes on from there as she tries to figure out what's happened to her child. Now, it's not a spoiler here, but the child is found. So, so that's it. But the whole, the book is actually the reactions to it. Yeah, so I I really like um, thinking about blame and the way, you know, when something goes wrong and we all see it on Twitter, something bad happens to someone, the vast majority of people will be sympathetic and will really feel for the person. But there's always a small minority who say, yeah, but, you know, if they hadn't done this, it wouldn't have happened. You know, very quick to blame the person to whom the thing happened, victim blaming. And I think we all do it in a small way in our everyday lives. I know in my house, if someone steps on Lego, they immediately look around to see who left the Lego there instead of just accepting that sometimes we all step on Lego. So it's something that I try to, with my own kids, if I spill the milk or whatever, I don't go, for God's sake, who didn't put that cap on properly? I just go, oh, look, I'm after spilling the milk because I realized that they were immediately looking for someone to blame when something goes wrong and apparently blame is contagious and it's not good for us and it's it's something we should try not to do but I really liked exploring it in the book where, we tend, to, exp- you know, we tend it, to blame mothers when something goes wrong with children yeah, there is there's a lot of that. And you know, the way you hear people, you know, if there's bad behavior, immediately people are like, oh, well, it's all down to the parents. And in the book, whenever the topic of childcare comes up, because it, that's a really, without giving anything away, that's a big feature of it is the different childcare options that people in the book have used. Everybody keeps referring to the mothers. And, you know, even in an early part, when the Gardaí are chatting to Marissa and her husband, Peter, and they're asking about the au pair, and Peter says, oh, I don't know really a lot about her background. The, the, that's more Marissa's domain. And a lot of people messaged me about that. They were like, yeah, exactly. Why does everybody think that the childcare is the mother's domain, that it's, it's her job to hire the au pair or to check out the crash? And look, I know there are going to be people listening who are thinking, no, no, you know, in, in my case, it was my husband or my partner who did that. And like, I know my husband, when we hired a John Minder, was heavily involved in, he was vetting CVs and passing them on to me for a second round of screening. And we had kind of like a conveyor belt operation in place. But I also know from talking to friends, that isn't always the case. And very often, childcare is seen as the woman's domain, whether she's doing it herself or she is looking to hire a child minder or find a crash. Yeah. Now, you have lovely characters. I, I love the way you paint characters. Like, you can see them all, which, which is a great part of your writing. But there's an awkward, and I think this is very true in all these family situations, there is always one very awkward mother-in-law. Oh, yeah. She's not <laughs> nice at like all. my lovely mother-in-law. Oh, my God. <laughs> 
Yeah, yeah. She's she a weapon, was, like, this woman is. She was the best fun to write. I <laughs> really, really enjoyed writing her. Um, and yes, she's definitely nothing like my own lovely mother-in-law, but it, it was really good fun writing her. I mean, she's particularly awful. I think most people don't have... Um, a mother-in-law who's as bad as Adeline, but it was great fun writing her. And there is one thing she does in the book that um, she's minding the child and she does something without permission from the parents. And I actually, I had something else in there at first. I had that she had cut his hair without permission. And then my editor quite rightly pointed out that since Milo had long hair, this other child shouldn't have long hair as well. So I put a question out in a WhatsApp group asking for ideas of things mothers-in-law had done when they weren't supposed to and it was amazing to see the responses that came in one one grandmother had had a child christened oh, for <laughs> god's parents- sake you're joking <laughs> <laughs> it was absolutely brilliant yeah. noise of ear piercings and all sorts of things um so yeah she's she's not based on a re- my real life mother-in-law but she is kind of a, a combination of other people's experiences i would say now i, I mentioned that the, the the twists and the turns in it um at one point and i i, I was going you you throw us a bone and you point us in a particular direction and just when we're gone down that road, we go, hang on, we've been, we've been, we've been distracted here. There's something else going on. <laughs> yeah, I think like I was only thinking about this last night, um, watching a, a series on Netflix called Hit and Run, which is very good. And I was thinking the job of every crime or mystery writer, whether it's for books or TV, it's this kind of hiding in plain sight thing or this distraction thing you have to be a magician in a way you have to put something a little bit out there that a clever reader will see and go aha that's a clue but really there's something else entirely different going on in the background so I think that's your job really is to be a magician and try and distract the reader at one thing while you're doing something else entirely now uh, look, I may, it's it's not a spoiler to say that the, the, the young lad turns up because there's an awful lot more to this. And I have to tell you, I thought I had it sussed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If, I, if you had asked me to read to, say, up to the last maybe 50 pages and tell you uh-huh. what comes next, I couldn't possibly have figured it out. <laughs> Good. <laughs> and even That's then, you're great. not finished because just when you tell the story, and I know I'm building it up, just when you tell the story, and the story itself is, oh my God, oh my gee, there's one last little belter <laughs> on the last page. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. That was like, that's maybe my favourite bit. (laughs) Actually, it's it's much smaller than the big story. The story itself dominates the last end of the the last bit of the book. But the last bit, I goes, ah, for God's sake. (laughs) Yeah, and it actually had a different ending, a more, mm, I suppose, a more dramatic ending. And my sister read it. And she said, I don't know if that character would do that. So I changed it. And I think that last page is is a much better oh, this character ending. would. <laughs> That's all I'd say. They don't, they don't know what we're talking Andrea, congratulations. Any any sign <laughs> of these you. things being, these wonderful books of yours being turned into telly? 
Oh, I'd love that. That would be great. I'm I'm waiting for Reese Witherspoon to someday someone to put one of my books in her hand, and if she could do like a big little lies series type thing, now that would be great. Who would but, you cast? Yeah, as like that's the dream. Ooh. Oh, gosh. Like, I mean, she's kind of like a Joan Collins type person, but like, I don't know who the the contemporary equivalent would be. Um, she's a bit old, to, but to if you her. get Maggie Smith as a younger woman, can you <laughs> Oh, imagine? yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Listen, Andrew, Perfect. congratulations. It's a super book, and I really would advise everybody to read it. You, you, you'll read it in a couple of, a couple of sittings. It's uh, All Her Fault by Andrea Mara. Quality Irish fiction out now. We're talking yesterday about botched weight loss surgery and how things can and do go terribly wrong. But it's a big fashion thing at the moment, people travelling overseas to get their teeth veneered. And dentists are warning that you really should think hard before you do that. Uh, Dr. Ellen Jean Long is a dentist from Cork. She's work works in Dublin, but she's from Cork. And she's been chatting to me about the whole veneers craze. So, Dr. Ellen Jean Long, let's start with the basics. What are veneers? So, veneers are minimal preparation restorations on the outside of the teeth, where you take a small amount of tooth away to make space for usually porcelain. So, porcelain would be the main uh, material used for veneers. And they're very popular. Have you any idea why? They're popular because a lot of celebrities have them and they're trending at the moment. There's a lot of heavy advertising online in relation to going abroad to getting that type of treatment done. And a lot of celebrities are kind of showcasing their their teeth online as well. So because of social media, a lot of patients are opting for, for veneers. Now, we were talking about the dangers of going abroad for weight loss surgery. And I think as a dentist... You want to point to dangers going abroad for veneers because you might actually get veneers. Yeah, what generally what we're seeing abroad more commonly is that instead of this outer layer of veneer preparation, they're preparing all of the teeth and multiple teeth for crowns, which is a much more destructive procedure where they're removing a lot more tooth structure. And they're also root canal treating the teeth at the same time and missing and misdiagnosing things as well. So you go for one thing and you end up with an awful lot more. In Ireland, we have a certain level of, you know, dentistry to uphold. We're regulated by the Irish Dental Council. In many of these countries abroad, there's no regulatory body. And in terms of, you know, having a comeback, if any of the work goes wrong, they, there is no... Um, there's no regulation there in terms of protecting you as, as a patient. And it's quite scary, actually, in terms of the consent process, because you're not given proper informed consent. Firstly, you don't know what you're signing up for. And secondly, if there is an issue with said treatment further down the line, you don't have any comeback in terms of the dentist or the team that were looking after you. So I fly out on a Ryanair flight and I check into a clinic and I say that I want all the front teeth veneered. What might I get instead and, and what harm will that do? What you might get instead is 24 crowns. Instead of getting six or 10 veneers in your top teeth, you might end up getting 24 crowns. But don't I have control over that? Don't I get what I asked for? Or? Sometimes not. No, So sometimes you go in and the person who has done the assessment is completely different to 
the person that's actually doing the treatment itself. Right. So when you go for the assessment phase, a lot of the time you may not meet a dentist at all. And then when you go in for the treatment, you meet uh, you know a, a dentist you may never have met before and you're sat in the chair and, and your teeth can be all prepared without you knowing. And the the risks of that would be, firstly, if your teeth are drilled into small peg shapes, the, the risk is that the nerves can ultimately die over time, which is why we're seeing a lot of dentists that are root canal treating the teeth abroad at the same time that they're doing the veneers or, or crowns. And it's kind of, there's no indication for root canal or pinnacle infection, but they're doing root canals anyway, which is um, over treatment and is quite scary, really. Root canal is one of the things you want to avoid when you, when you go to the dentist. Nobody wants to willingly have a root canal. So, so why would they do that to you? They do that because you have certain layers of the tooth. So you have generally two uh, millimeters of enamel the whole way around. Then you have your dentine layer and your nerve. If you're over drilling the tooth down to the point where the nerve is almost exposed, there's a high risk of nerve damage and a high risk of irreversible nerve damage where the tooth actually dies and mm. you need a root canal. So a lot of the time, these dentists, to save themselves save themselves hassle, they'll do um, a root canal at the same time to avoid the risk that it will die. And would they do that all in one time? Because anyone I know who's ever had a root canal, luckily I've avoided it thus far in my life. Anyone, it's, it's a couple of visits over a period of time. They're doing it on the one day. That's the thing. So every procedure, as you just pointed out, PJ, needs a certain amount of time and follow up and, and proper treatment planning. But a lot of the work that we're seeing done is done really quickly over one day. And some treatments that may take a year to a year and a half are done in a week or two. So it's quite alarming what, what is going on. But there are fantastic dentists abroad. I do want to say that. Yeah, yeah. But, but, but as the poor punter getting on the Ryanair plane, uh, I found, found something on Facebook. I, do, I don't know where I'm going. Yeah, exactly. So the questions that people need to ask really are, who is the dentist uh, looking after you? What is their skill and their expertise? Who is the dental technician making the work and what is their skill and experience? And, you know, what kind of regulation is in the country? Do they have a certain level of dentistry that they need to uphold? And what is my comeback if there's any issues with my dental treatment? And if during the treatment there are issues, does my travel insurance cover it? These are all the kind of questions that people need to ask. And more than anything, as you said, they're knowing what you're signing up for. So did you know? are you aware that you're getting 24 crowns and what a crown is? And are you aware that all of the teeth are going to be splinted together in one whole unit, we'll say? So the, these are the kind of questions that people need to be asking when they're traveling away. Yeah. So uh, hang on, one whole unit. So like the finished product mightn't have gaps between them, no? Exactly. That sounds very uncomfortable. It is. And the issue with that is that usually a patient can't clean underneath their teeth. So they get chronic gum issues. They get decay in and around the, the restoration because the, the saliva gets in underneath then the bite is off. So that's something that people don't think about enough, but your bite is really important. So if you're biting really heavily on one side of your mouth, you're going to get wear over time. If the restoration is made out of a cheaper material, such as porcelain mixed with acrylic or a lesser form, you, you know, you're more likely to get wear in that area and failure of the, 
the bridge or crowns over time. So these are all um, major things that you need to think about. All of these things, uh, Ellen Jane, sound like I would be knocking on my own dentist's door within a few months, holding my chin, going, would you please sort out this mess? How, how frequent does that happen? It happens, uh, quite sadly, very often. And the conversations that I have to have with people, are they're quite upsetting because you're telling someone that the work they've had done is, in some cases, unethical, has put them at a major oral health disadvantage for the rest of their lives, will require a lot of maintenance. And in many cases, we end up needing to refer these patients to specialists. And specialised treatment is sometimes inaccessible for people, and not everyone can afford to do that. And it's a very precarious situation for a patient to be in that position where they've invested money in getting their teeth done and now they're left with all these other issues that they weren't aware of. On your social media, you said, remember, you get one set of teeth and treasure it. Yeah, exactly. So so uh, that that's the, the main, I guess, um, role of, of dentists is to try and maintain your teeth throughout your lifetime, try and, you know, keep your teeth for as long as possible so you can enjoy life, eating and speaking and so on. And once you have done irreparable damage, they won't grow back. And each tooth is really precious. Each tooth has its own blood and nerve supply and we're trying to maintain and keep that healthy when we're doing a filling or whatever it is that we're doing. Mm. We're always thinking about the nerve health of the tooth. So unless you need a root canal or something like that, that's a different story. But you know, we're trying to preserve the health of the teeth and that's what we should be doing. And um, some of these patients are are in a horrible situation when they come back from holidays. One of the reasons that they've gone overseas to get the work done is that, let's face it, it's very expensive to have it done here. And that's where they go. Why why is it so expensive? It's, it's expensive. I guess the main thing I would say is that prevention is better than cure. So if you're going to your dentist every year for your checkup, you're brushing twice a day, you're flossing, you know, you're getting x-rays every two years, that's much better in that if there's a small issue, we're diagnosing it and finding it really quickly so that we can treat it and it doesn't end up being an expensive, costly issue for you in the future. It's expensive for a number of reasons. And unfortunately, it's inaccessible to a lot of people mm. in Ireland. And the reason it's expensive would be because, you know, a lot of the time it's a multidisciplinary team that's taking care of you. So you have your dental nurse, your dentist, your hygienist, your dental technician, the um, dental specialist sometimes are a team of those people looking after you. Um, the equipment we use is really expensive. The training the materials, in order to use good materials for your patients, you have to um, invest in, in good materials for mm. them. So, you know, and our indemnity is quite high as well. And the reason the reason we have all of these high standards is because we have to stand over our work in relation to the Irish Dental Council that are governing us. So you have to provide good work for our patients and make sure that everything is, is to a very high standard and quality it must be uncomfortable then in knowing that because of all these costs involved, people are going overseas. But then what it sounds to me like is that when they come back, they may well face a lot of cost anyway, just to repair the damage. Yeah. And, and I think what some people need to realize is sometimes the best treatment is to do no treatment. 
So sometimes you're better off not going near your teeth and not opting to get cosmetic work done, especially if it's going to leave you in a much um, you know disadvantaged position from an oral health perspective. And yeah, it is, it is sad. You, you go away and you spend a certain amount of money on holidays and you come back and you're told that in order to repair this, the dentist in question often says that it's outside their remit of skills. They will need to refer you to a specialist. And then some patients cannot afford that kind of treatment. So it's very difficult to manage those cases, but we do manage them as best as we can. But it is quite quite stressful and for patients and upsetting for them as well. It sounds like a very expensive fashion accessory at the end of the day. It is. And, and I think people forget as well that these treatments are elective. They're not essential in order to have good oral health. And sometimes the best thing to do is actually to do nothing if it's going to set you back from an oral health side of things. Thanks for being with us today, Ellen Jean. A lot of people are doing this at the moment. And I think what we're trying to do is sound just a gentle word of warning. And you've helped, and you've helped us to do that. Thank you. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's just, I, I just want to raise awareness really for people to ask these questions when they're going away and, you know, just to know what they're signing up for and to, to look after themselves. Thanks for being with us. Bye. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast or on 96FM.ie. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Got a message to say, do you know what they're filming in Dreamy League? They're filming the new adaptation. It's Netflix or television. I don't know what channel it is, but they're filming... Uh, the adaptation of a television of Graham Norton's novel, Holding, which looks very promising. Haven't read the book, but I believe it's it's excellent. Must read it very, very soon. A few comments held over on meat and animals and hunting and shooting and birds and all that. And the two Johns were on with kind of the two sides of the story after 10. Bernie says, I appreciate there is skill in shooting, but what pleasure can you get from killing birds? Don't we all enjoy birds? Maybe clay pigeon shooting is worthwhile, or maybe there are situations where you sadly have to kill them. But what's so good about killing our feathered friends? The second man sounded a decent man. That's John Boiling, who was talking about shooting, but I just don't get it. Kate said it's very hard to know what to do or have all the answers. I like meat. I know almost all farm animals are bred to be killed. But on a holiday in France, we stayed across from an abattoir, and I'll never forget screaming first thing in the morning. It was very upsetting and it would make you think. I still think about it from time to time. 1850-715-996. Right, we, we have a query which we sent to Boss Aaron and they sent us a reply, which I'll get to later. But this is to do with school transport. Didn't I tell you? It's as, it's as, it's as uh, an absolute in September as the night's drawing in. It, it really It really is. Uh, dear sir and madam, I'm trying to get through to the bus Aaron office in Cork that deals with school transport. Obviously, they're very busy at this time of the year. However, I sent emails yesterday but got no reply. I've been ringing them all morning. At one stage, I was on hold for two hours and 12 minutes. 
and still wasn't put through. I rang the Dublin office, but they said they only deal with inquiries and tried to keep sorting, try keep trying the Cork office. Is it just me or does anyone else find this absolutely ridiculous? Imagine if this was a business and nobody was answering emails or the phone or keeping people on hold for hours. How long will they last? Just thought I'd highlight it with yourselves. Could you help in any way? That came in from Kira. We got a statement from Boss Aaron. Have it here in my hand. I'm just trying to figure out what they're saying, which is typical, but I'll get it to you before the end of the programme. 1850 We We talk an awful lot uh, about women in sport and getting young girls in particular, not just to get into sport, but to stay in sport. Any kind of sport. Uh, but right now we've got uh, a West Cork woman uh, heavily involved in the sport of kayaking. And in fact, we'll be heading off soon to the European Championships in kayaking in October. More about that in a little while. But her name is, I hope I've got right, Anise O'Donovan. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are you? Good. and delighted to speak with you. Now, you've been sporty, I'd say, all your life. Gymnastics, tumbling, personal training, fitness instructor, sailing instructor, powerboating instructor, windsurfing instructor. You're in sport all your life. But what drew you into kayaking? Um, I guess I just met the right people at the right time and a few couple of people had suggested it in one week and went down to my local club, West Cork Kayaking Club, and tried it. And just the buzz that I got from it, it was fantastic. Just that, like, the sense of freedom being out in the water with a bunch of people. It was lashing rain, but everybody was still smiling. And then and I just stepped it up from there um, after that. How many times a week do you train now? Um, at the moment, probably about five times a week. I'm currently over in Nottingham in the UK training for the British Champs, which are on on Saturday. Um, so this training week will be a little bit different uh, to weeks back home in Ireland. So I'm doing like two sessions a day uh, for the next week um, before I head home. And then we'll be back over then to Paris. So training will be a bit different when we're in Paris as well. And and in Nottingham, what facilities have you got to train? So in Nottingham, we're training from the National Water Sports Centre. It was built for the Commonwealth Games. So it's phenomenal, state-of-the-art, like uh, five world-class features. We have nothing in comparison to it in Ireland. So just being able to have such, like just being able to go out there every day and practice and not have to drive miles, you know, I can just go a couple of minutes down the road and I have five features as opposed to just one that, like we often wait on tides in Ireland. So often I'm getting up at 4am to go training and it's, it's not ideal, to say the least. <laughs> now, how many women are involved in kayaking? I wouldn't know the exact figures, um, but there is a significant uh, difference between men and women within the sport. Um, but uh, they're currently trying to get to 50-50 equality and they're, they're making massive difference, which is incredible. Yeah. Now, it's not an Olympic sport. I'm surprised, actually, because I guess this is me not knowing the difference between canoeing and kayaking. It's not an Olympic sport, which means that people like you have to have to fund entirely for themselves. I'll get to that in a little while. But we hear a lot, Annie, about, you know, young girls getting in and trying sport and then not feeling themselves being encouraged and, and dropping out. Uh, do you think that happens a lot? I think it happens quite a lot. It's It can be quite challenging when uh, women are quite young and they're trying to stay in sport. 
a lot of the time it's pressure on coaches to compete. It might be that it's no longer fun. It's getting too strict or their friends drop out or they feel embarrassed. You know, women's bodies are changing, so they have to kind of deal with that as well. So it can be quite challenging to keep women in sport, which is really sad. Um, so all this ca- these campaigns at the moment are trying to promote women to stay in sport. And I hope it starts to work because... Uh, I think sport is incredible for everyone's mental and physical well-being, you know. Yeah, you were involved in a campaign called Her Outdoors Week, which was run by Sports Ireland. And it was a photograph, I think, it, I'm sure it's a photograph of you in the Southern Star. Could you possibly be any happier? No. <laughs> Everyone always says that when I go kayaking, they're like, that's how we make you happy. So it's like for my birthday, for my 21st, uh, we were in the middle of lockdown, but I was able to go out paddling. And everyone's like, oh, you only just got to go kayak. I was like, that's what I love to do. So that's where I'm most happy with the water inside of my boat. (laughs) That smile of yours. It doesn't care about the weather. It doesn't care about the currents. You're just so happy. (laughs) You you started a thing called Teen Connect. Tell me about that. Uh, So I developed an initiative called Teen Connect. I ran this along with a friend of mine. Her name is Cleo Pitcher-Farrell. And we basically, uh, we were hoping to do like water-based sessions to get as many women on the water, uh, like between the ages of like 12 and 17. But then because of lockdown, we were unable to do that. So I just kind of suggested, you know, why don't we do an online version of it? So we had four Zoom sessions. We had on average 50 junior girls from all over Ireland participate. We had like Olympians chatting to them. We had like physiotherapists who are also kayakers. We had like a yoga instructor. So we had like loads of guest speakers along with breakout rooms. And since those four Zooms, um, I've met some of the women and, and they were like, oh, we made new friends from that Zoom. Like we got in contact with each other and we're now paddling. And then we also did a like an on the water session. So we had um, nine different events on the same weekend uh, in six different counties. And we had over 100 junior girls on the water. Uh, some uh, some of the people, it was their first time ever on the water, which is incredible to be able to introduce them to the sport. And for others, it was, you know, their training week in and week out, but they got to try different disciplines. Uh, so that was incredible just to see the variety and try like seeing so many junior girls like try something new and step out of their comfort zone. Yeah. I love your, your quote in the, in the uh, star, uh, sport is much more than sport. It is like sport. A lot of people just think like of just going to the gym. But for me, sport is like meeting my friends and family. It's being able to go out there when I'm stressed. It gives me a goal. It gives me something to wake up for in the morning. It gives me focus. And I would never have had the same friends if I wasn't in sport. Um, if you just get these different challenges within sport that you have to be able to overcome and you can only focus on them. You know, if you're going down uh, a waterfall and you, you know, you're, you're worried about messing up the waterfall, you're going to mess it up. Whereas if you're focused and you're just thinking, this is my line, I'm going to go down it. And I think that's a transferable skill to every day in life. And it's definitely helped me like for preparing for exams and stuff to be more kind of proactive and more focused um, on the positive outcome rather than the negative. Yeah, because you have exams and all going on in the, me- <laughs> in the middle of all of this. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a hectic couple of months, I have to say, like, um, like you know, going to college, having exams, trying to do the Team Connect in the evenings and then, you know, trying to work, like everything. But I guess once, once you're happy in it, then it, it all kind of falls into place, I guess. Yes, it does. Now- and like you have the support as well. The the Paris the, that line is going to go on us in just a sec, but but the, the Paris event is the European Championships in October, and because let me get this right, because kayaking isn't an Olympic sport, there's a lack of funding. So you're you're out there looking for sponsors right now. 
Well, so my discipline in kayaking isn't um, in the Olympics. There are discipline like slalom is in the Olympics, um, but my discipline isn't. So I do freestyle kayaking. Um, yeah, so we don't get any funding uh, because it's not an Olympic discipline. So I was looking up accommodation and it looks like it's going to cost me like 2000 to be able to stay. And then, you know, if I rent a car, it's like 1500 and that all has to come out of our pockets. And I'm 21. I've just finished college. So it's quite a burden. But, you know, it's just something we have to do. It's just this pity, like we are representing our country and there's nothing to back us on that, you know. But right. it is what it is. This is more great water sports people coming out of West Cork. What are you doing down there? <laughs> Oh, something in the water, I'd say. <laughs> you guys, listen, good luck with it. If anybody would like to give you some sponsorship, they can call us and we'll put you in touch and make it happen. It's great, great to speak with you and good luck in Nottingham this weekend. Let us know how you get on and good luck in, in Paris in October. And uh, happy kayaking, Anise. Thank you very much, PJ, for having me on the show and have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you so much. That's great. That's 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 a brilliant picture. Actually, do you know what we might do? I would. Do, it's a Southern Star photograph, so they have all the credit. Share that picture of her on the water in the kayak. If you've ever seen anybody happier at what they do, it's it's brilliant. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call in person or call them now. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Tell us about this uh, legend of a daughter of yours. Yes, so she's doing political science in UCC and she applied for and was accepted to do an internship in New York starting in January. So she'll be working for the Senate, the US government. Oh, that's fantastic. That's very exciting. You don't know you're going to have half a cork in JFK Airport going, listen, I know it's Elise Sinead. She walks her bike. PC and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city. A long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at nildc.com. Cork's 96 FM. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083-396-9696. On Quartz 96 FM. Quick reminder to you, all the festival stars in your back garden with Cork's 96FM's Back Garden Festival, streaming exclusively online with Harvey Norman and JBL, your specialist in sound this summer. On the app or go to 96FM.ie. Now, I said we got a statement from... Uh, Boss Aaron, uh, with regard to that query. And remember, this is a query that came into us from Kira, who's been just trying to get a human being on the end of the phone to find out about school transport. Hey, it's a perennial thing, comes up every September. And she told us about waiting on hold for two hours and 12 minutes, still haven't gone through, and rang the Dublin office and diverted back to Cork. Uh, just wondering why they keep people on hold for hours. Like I said, we've got a statement from Bus Aaron, and I'll, I'll get to that before 12. Now, uh, not related to this at all, but you see where Bus Aaron are in the news now, or rather the unions who drive the buses, the union members who drive the buses, are in the news today because they are unhappy with the decision to make or to reopen 100% capacity on the buses. Uh, Since the government roadmap was announced earlier this week, 
your bus is now back to 100% capacity after being between 25 and 50 and 75 for the last year and a half. And the unions are not happy. Uh, Dermot O'Leary, General Secretary of the National Bus and Rail Union, joins me briefly. Dermot, good morning. Morning, PJ. What's the problem? Well, the problem is, there are lots of problems, I suppose, but the, I suppose, look, the most immediate problem is that naivety, something that maybe people wouldn't associate with, with likes of myself uh, and representatives of, of transport workers, but we had assumed that when the 100% uh, return to public transport was announced uh, over the weekend, that it was a public health advice uh, and it came from Neffet, for example, but we discovered in over the last couple of days that actually there was a political decision uh, and we believe that decision was based on uh, a number of factors and not least the fact that the the schools are returning, obviously, probably next week in large numbers. Uh, thankfully, the economy is, is starting to open up again. But there is a shortage of, of transport fleet in rail and across the bus sector. Uh, we think rather than address the, the issue of the shortage of fleet, that the, 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 the suggestion has been made here uh, by the government and the National Transport Authorities was to try, to try and pack people back into buses and trains again. And again, we're on the record, the same PJ and the MBRU that, and our two colleagues, that we will not allow a situation where sardine-like loadings, as we call them, uh, if that were there uh, pre-COVID-19, would be allowed to happen again. And I suppose Tishuk's statement the other day is the one that caught us a bit by surprise when he mentioned the fact uh, that there's going to be an easing of restrictions through September, uh, culminating in a full lifting in late October. And our members are saying to us, uh, are they the guinea pigs in relation to see how this will work? Mm-hmm. So what we're saying to our members and what our members have asked us to say to the public really is that we want to maintain the 75% as we ease our way through the uh, restriction, um, uh, I suppose the restrictions being applied. Mm-hmm. And let's see what the health situation is like in October. 75% and would effectively mean no standing, wouldn't it, Dermot? It, it, it would in lots of cases. And look, the problem is going to be, uh, look, generally speaking, and the NTA Rochester, uh, of course, they don't talk to us, they never talk to us, which is another concern we have. Every other sector has spoken to in relation to COVID. We're never spoken to directly by the authority involved here. But their Rochester talk about the, you know, there's, there's not a demand for, for transport, which is not. We all accept that, PJ, to be fair. But what happened probably next Monday, particularly on Tuesday, as the schools go back uh, fully and as the, the, you know, the economy opens up, people will try and access their buses in particular and the, the commuter trains as well uh, at certain times of the day and the evening. You know, the peak times, we all know what they are. And they'll try and you know, squash into buses and trains to get them made to be. And that's only natural. But what we're saying is that we have a concern on both on our, I suppose, our members they have and indeed the public at large that that could create a situation where yeah. the, the virus or viruses... Uh, and mm. again, we're reading over the last few days about the Colombian variant is now among us, and we're going to have to live with this. We all know that. Yeah, well, we, I mean, we and that's just the point. We are going to have to live with it. I would say to you, and I can only speak for the city buses, because they're the ones I travel on, that most of your drivers, I would imagine, if not all, are, are vaccinated at this point, and they all sit inside uh, a, a glass or perspex cabinet now in, in the driver's seat, and there's absolutely no contact with with the public other than maybe handling some change and most of us now using leap cards and everybody on the bus is wearing a mask so you don't see the problem Dermot yeah, well, look, I suppose you could say that, but I mean, look, again, when, when, when we legislate and give advice to members across the public transport sector, it's not just for people that are locked in uh, to cabs like you'd see in, in Cork or Dublin, indeed. A lot of the bus drivers in, in bus airing, for example, on the provincials, there's, there's no screen on a number of buses and the two seats behind the driver have up to now been uh, set aside for no seating to protect the driver. Don't forget you have uh, trained uh, personnel travelling, train host out of Cork, customer service, 
uh, revenue protection. They're all supposed to, they're all exposed uh, to full uh, to full carriages. You have the dark in Dublin. So when 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 we're issuing the voices, it's, it's along those lines we have to issue them uh, as a bit of a catch-all. And look, undoubtedly, undoubtedly, and again, this is back to the members themselves, of course. Undoubtedly, some members would allow a situation where you know people have to get from A to B. They need to get to work. They need to get to school, and they'll do their best to facilitate them. But there is a concern that first of all, lack of consultation with the sector uh, from the NTA to, to, to the union representative. That's one thing. And then I suppose the real thing that I suppose drove the workers a bit, uh, uh, you know, cons- made them concerned is the fact that the teacher announced it's an easing of opening in October, and they're asking the very obvious question: Why are we forced? Uh, you look at a situation, for example, where it's very hard, very and rightly so. The, the bar is very high to get into restaurants, to get into bars, to get into hotels. There's a lot of restrictions. You have to show your your, your certificate. Uh, people can just hop on uh, buses and trains with nilly. Uh, and again, that, that that concern is there. And look, undoubtedly, PJ, look, society's opening up. We're going to have to live with it, as, as I said already. But it just we, we just feel one step at a time. Let's see how this is going to run between now and October when the full restrictions are lifted. Does a driver, uh, under the rules of engagement, as it were, Dermot, have a discretion as to when he or she decides there's enough people on his or her bus? And they do. And look, I suppose again, I've been on. I've been on with you last year. I remember another media platform said, "Come, we can't. Uh, it's impossible for for a bus driver or our train personnel or station personnel uh, to police uh, the capacity. We've always had a problem on how that could be done. And you do. And look, bus drivers by their nature, you know, they're, they're community based by and large, and they do use that discretion. And there will be situations, as I said already, where people. You know, we struggle to get on buses and trains, and the drivers will do what they always do, and and they they provide. No, I think what I meant was what I meant about that was Dermot that if a bus driver on say a two twenty or a two sixteen or a two oh eight or whatever decides right, I've enough on my bus now. Can they can they put up the bus full sign? And drive on, and is that oh, what you want to do? Yeah, yeah, sorry, PJ. Yeah, they have that discretion. Of course, they have discretion. They've been using that discretion all through COVID. In fact, when the capacity was twenty five percent, fifty percent, and now seventy five percent, they've been using that all through, uh, and they will continue to use that. Of course, they will. Uh, but again, look, I suppose part, part of our, our press release here was to highlight the fact that the people in the sector who've kept the wheels literally turning right through COVID, right, and got praise from politicians. And, and rightly so, and from, commu- and, and, and from commuters, rightly so as well. Uh, they have never been spoken in relation to any concerns they might have in relation to the reopening or lifting of restrictions. Nobody's ever spoke to them. And, and are uh, your and members they, nervous? They are nervous, and they have been, have been nervous. And look, we, we've been, I suppose, thankfully, uh, and this is suppose, another concern, PJ, that we had horror stories in the UK last year where bus drivers were dying of COVID, particularly uh, quite a number, in fact, uh, and colleagues over there were on to us and, you know, explain how that, you know, how the concern they were at the time. And that concern was there now, and we're coming towards the end now, and members are saying to us, you know what, can we not just wait that, that six weeks that the teacher could talk about, and just, can we just not see, you know, that this is going to work for us, in, you know, into the long term, that we can all live with it because of the vaccination. Right. Uh, the, the high table. We know the vaccinations work, but you're saying give it a few weeks before you go to 100%. Uh, yeah, there seems to be, and again, what, what really, I suppose, compounds it, 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 the situation that we've been asking for you know additional funding for, for for buses and trains for many many years now right and again look no one could predict or foresee a pandemic but rather than look at the issue of being short uh, you know rolling stock this business of just because the schools are returning and the sector is opening the, the economy is opening up thankfully yeah look, just open up to 100% it would be grand it would be grand and alright in the night if you like you know what I mean well, you're talking about people's health now you know being alright in the night you know that that's uh, that's that you're, you're, you're dicing with people's health as far as we're concerned but but, but no sorry PJ but the the frontline transport workers and indeed the people who use services themselves. I'm sure lots of people giving it given a choice uh, wouldn't get onto a full bus or a full train for quite a while yet. 
things start, you know, mm-hmm. so we can see that living with the pandemic, you know, we, we're all relatively speaking healthy. We might ask people that. Just lastly, someone suggests on the phone here, Dermot, like if buses were, were all different sizes, like our buses are roughly the same size, which means if you have a single-decker bus, it gets overcrowded. Should there be more flexibility to, if 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 the single-decker buses on, again, I pick a, a bus route that I know, 216, if, if those buses are getting overcrowded, is there an easy, easy way to swap in and swap out with a double-decker? No, it's not. And back to, back, we're back to the availability of fleet again, you see. And, and, you know, and also there's a reason in lots of cases why single deckers might be used because of the tie rain, the travel over and, and low bridges and all that kind of stuff. So it, it all depends on that. There's a lot of factors feed into why, why single deckers and double deckers are used in various places. Uh, the double deckers in, in the city uh, that, you, that we'd all be familiar in Cork and, and other places are all standard uh, sizes. Uh, and there is, a, uh, I suppose, an allowance to stand somewhat on, on those buses, uh, not so much single deckers. But there is different capacity levels, there's no doubt about that. There is. Okay. All right. Leave it there for today. We might talk again. Dermot O'Leary, uh, National Secretary of the National Bus and Rail Union, and a Corkman. Uh, there, there's a question. I think I saw something on the news the other night about this on the television news. Don't know whether it was RT or Virgin. I was watching one or the other anyway. And they did a box pop about the fact that straight away the buses and trains and in Dublin the Lewis back to 100% capacity. And some people were a bit nervous about that. A bit nervous about getting onto a bus and for the first time in months actually sitting next to a complete stranger. And yet they might be wearing a mask or they might have the mask down over the chain, you know, that kind of thing. And being nervous about that, vaccinated or not. Would you be nervous about getting on a packed bus home Today, if you're going downtown to get the bus home, yesterday it was only 50% or 75% capacity. Today it's 100. Would you be nervous about getting on a busy bus today? 1850-715-996. Will I do it now? I will. The response that we got from Bus Aaron to that query from earlier where Kira, at one point spent two hours and 12 minutes without getting through on hold. How she must have the patience of a church full of saints to wait on the phone for two hours and ten minutes. But she's wondering, like, that's not good enough. So we sent a query into Buzz Aaron on her behalf and we got back an essay. Seriously, a a leaving cert essay wouldn't be as long. Uh, The first two paragraphs completely of no use other than tell us that the 114,500 students are carried across the system on more than 6,500 vehicles and 9,000 routes. Okay, we don't, Kira doesn't care about that. There is 50% capacity on post-primary services for the current school year. This is because of COVID. It, it may reduce capacity in areas of high demand. It may? Of course it, of course it does. And that hasn't changed. We know that from yesterday's call with Tina, where the school buses are still running at 50%. To date, Bus Erin has issued more than 100,000 tickets for students Fewer than 2% of applicants who paid on time are waiting confirmation. At the moment, this is eventually to the bottom of the page, we get an answer to Kira. At the moment, the school transport team is experiencing a very high volume of calls. We would like to reassure people we are continuing to work on solutions for the small proportion of people still awaiting confirmation. And that as soon as a place is secured, we'll communicate directly with them by email. We'd ask that people email their queries to the relevant school transport office and advise it may take up to five working days before a response can be sent in areas with the high volume of queries. Which effectively, and I wouldn't want to wrong them now, but the answer to Kira is, don't call us, 
we'll call you. That seems... If I'm reading that wrong, tell me. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With McCarthy Insurance Group. Call them now for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie Can we just talk? The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 996 on Quartz 96FM. Watching CNN here in studio on our TV all morning and people are sending in stuff to social media and Instagram video clips from New York, from the subways and from Mayor's Park. Just daft, ridiculous, unprecedented levels of rain and flooding in New York City as a a consequence of this storm Ida. It's like the back end of storm Ida. And like New York was at a standstill, if you're to believe what you read on social media. And I say if you're to read or believe what you read, the next man can tell me just how bad it is uh, live from the mean streets of New York City, where it's in or around 20 to 7 in the morning, if I'm right. The Gabby Cabby, Peter Franklin. Peter, good morning. Good morning, good morning. Send me a boat, fast. Get me a boat. <laughs> how bad is it, Peter? Well, I mean, what it was happening, it was really unbelievable, and it was a sight to be seen. Most people don't realize that New York City is really, in a sense, five islands, with five boroughs, and we have our rivers, but they're not really rivers, they're estuaries. So we are really subject to this type of thing, but never to this extreme. This really went wild. It was like God was punishing us for something or other. So it really was fantastic. Everything came to a grinding halt. People actually drowned. Uh, millions of dollars of damage and what have you. Just one more little trouble added to the problems of the United States. Yeah. Did they did they close the subway? Well, they didn't have any choice in the matter because there's so much of the water was flooding into it that it had to be closed. So there were parts of it. It wasn't closed down completely in every you know area, but there were parts. I mean, what you did is you just sat in your apartment or you sat in your house or you sat in your business and you didn't go anywhere. I mean, we were in that situation. I happened to be doing some shopping with my wife and we just pulled over and stopped and we waited in the car for, oh, I don't know, I guess it was about an hour or so before the water ran off. But remember, we're sitting right at sea level. Yeah. So, I mean, we're very susceptible to this kind of thing. So I'd advise if this is going to start happening more and more, all you nice people come here with life preservers. <laughs> yeah, it, it. I mean, people are saying, and you know, pick up the radio stations online now, never seen rain like this, never seen rain fall so fast and so heavy. Would you agree? And you're a long time on the roads there. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it was the, the most, was, was, you know, most of the time when the weatherman says something here, you say, oh, yeah, right, it's going to be the biggest hurricane, going to be the biggest this, going to be the biggest that. And then it doesn't happen, and it turns out to be just the rain. And you say, aha, the weatherman must be the mayor's brother-in-law or something or other. But in this particular case, boy, were they right, and it really hit with a vengeance. And, you know, it's like, oh, boy, what next? Yeah, you got Afghanistan. You got all the controversy that's happening in the world and all the troubles, the fires in California. You know, so people say to me, "Well, Pete, what do you think it is?" I said, "God's punishing us for something or other." Because I can't remember any period in my lifetime when it seemed like, "Oh, what next?" It just doesn't end. Yeah, and we talked you and I during the early days of COVID about lockdown and how how desolate the place was, and and now we've got this. And does the city? I assume it does have big flood defences. Or 
Are they looking for heads to roll this morning already? Well, they are, but there's so many things. I mean, so many things to roll. I mean, just look what's going on. We threw out the governor of New York State. You're trying to throw out the governor of California. You have all of the controversies to whether or not Biden did the right thing in Afghanistan. So everybody is getting blamed for something or other. You and I are the only two people who aren't getting blamed for anything. Oh, believe me, Peter, they'll blame me for something if they can, mate. Listen, as always, stay safe. Uh, Gabby.com is your website, isn't it? You got it, sweetheart. And come here. Are you doing? Are you are you back to doing your tours yet? No, no. And my recommendation, remember, I'm in the tour business, is for people not to come to New York City. There's too much crime here. There's too much problem. There's too much troubles. So if you're thinking of making a visit to New York, wait till next year. That's a pity now because I know a lot of people are looking forward to getting back to the States. And, you know, people look at your website and say, I'd love to book his tour. You're just saying, stay away for a while. Yeah, for a while. I mean, you know, be a grown-up. I mean, sometimes you don't do it. So, uh, no, as a matter of fact, we've stopped doing the tours for a while. All right. Okay. Well, good luck and good health to you, friend. Uh, That's Peter Franklin, the Gabby Cabby, live from the mean streets of New York. Gabby.com is his website. (laughs) And there's actually, you'll find cooking tips on it, of all things, as well. 1850-715-996. Just on those buses and Dermot O'Leary from the NBRU and how the bus drivers... Well, yesterday they had they they, were, they they feel like, and I'm saying that's what they said. They feel like they're guinea pigs in this. Soak it and see. Aaron says many workers at the start had no option but to work together, even before mask mandates came in. We just got on with it. The biggest outbreak we had in work was when masks were mandated. We're t- turning into a nation of moaners. Uh, Stefan, <laughs> I know I'll read that next. Paul says, a driver can't say he'll only take 30 people if capacity is 59, PJ. Will you remind the union rep, it's Boss Aaron pays the wages of drivers, not the union. So if the government says it's okay to go 100%, then the owners can, not the unions. Well, Paul, I think you'll find in every driver's cabin or somewhere everywhere in the bus, you'll find a warning. It is at the driver's discretion to allow you on or not. If the driver doesn't like the look of you, if you're drunk or if you look like trouble, the driver has the discretion to not allow you on. And if the driver, and I would support this, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. If a driver feels that there's enough people on his or her bus for now, in the middle of a pandemic, bus full. I've no problem with that. Really no problem. Am I wrong? And then Stefan says, nothing to do with COVID-19. I just want, don't want to sit next to anybody. Last bit of business for today. There's a new show starting tonight on RTE2 featuring some of Ireland's best makeup artists. Glow Glow Up Ireland. That's our version of a show that's already been a huge hit all over the world. Presented by uh, Maura Higgins of Love Ireland, Love Island fame. And one of the contestants is from Cork. Jade Foley is from Nocnahini. Jade, good morning to you. Good morning. How are you getting on? Good, and I know you're not allowed to tell me how you did, so I won't even ask you. <laughs> yeah, I can't, don't give a bit of information, sorry. <laughs> Good, no, you're all right, you're all right. So, so why did you, why did you, how did you get, get, get involved in this? It was actually funny. I was on Instagram one day and I just saw someone, don't know who they were, but thank you to that person. They tagged me in the post um, saying that they're taking auditions. So I just sent them an email and they sent me on a form and... The audition process started from there and I luckily got on. How long are you doing makeup? 
I got my qualification last year for makeup and I've been doing the basics like maybe two years, but to actually do creative makeup only in the last few months, really. I was seen looking at some of the trailers during the week. There's some mad stuff. Oh my God. It's like the, the talent is up to the roof. It's just so high standard and it was so fun competing with everyone because it was nice to see how other people worked with makeup because, you know, we've been stuck inside for the last year or two and you don't really get to interact with people unless it's online. So it's nice to do makeup amongst other people who do makeup for once. Now, it's been a complete turnaround for you because you weren't in a very happy place a couple of years ago. Your nana died. Yeah, so my nan died um, just like the week before my 14th birthday. And that was when I was kind of like in second year and stuff. And I got severe like depression from it and then it kind of didn't really go away for a couple of years because my best friend in the school that I was in moved away at the same time so it's just like loss after loss and it's just then my family also moved away the mm-hmm. cousin stuff I was close to and things so it was just a lot to deal with and my mental health went down 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 like each year after year and I was like what is life like but then luckily I just turned everything around I was like you know what I'm just going to make the most out of what I have and I'm going to use the strength that she gave me to push me to do a lot of different things Tell me a bit about her what was she like? Noreen was her name wasn't it? Noreen Foley yeah so my nan was oh she was the best like you know any any problem I ever had she'd always be there for me and she'd never judge you you know she was always like accepting of anything you say to her and she was so funny like you know um the last moments when she was awake before she went into a coma and um, passed away we gave her cotton candy and anyone that tried to take it from her she slapped her hand and like get away that's mine you know it's it's like nice that um even though she had cancer for 16 years she never allowed it to break her humor or her personality and that's something that people lose really quickly when things like that happen to them. And it's just really inspiring mm. and just really admirable to see someone with such strength, you know, even though everything is going like so badly for them. And she was there for you when you got bullied. You got bullied a lot, didn't you? Yeah, I got bullied for, you know, race and different things. Just being different, I suppose. Anyone that's different will always have the eye of people. And it um, struck a lot of unwanted attention, we'll say that, but... Um, it definitely made me stronger to who I am today because now I've come to terms with, yes, I am different, but that doesn't mean anything less of myself. Do you know, I'm still me, I'm still Jade, and it's not going to stop me from doing anything I want in life. Yeah. You you did something strange in Leaving Search Year. You, you were aiming at one point for, for all the top points, uh, and then you dropped to everything except art. You dropped to lower level. And, yeah. And that worked out really well. Yeah, so I... I was on the brink of just not wanting to even continue school. Um, the school even came to me and they were like, we understand because my mental health got to a really, really dark place. And it just made me just not able to even leave my room. I actually didn't even go downstairs for any hours of the day unless it was literally to go to the toilet. Like I genuinely had the worst self-care there because I just didn't bother. I just didn't care about And Jade, was, was this through the bullying about the colour of your skin and stuff, yeah? No, it was honestly... Um, I developed really bad anxiety as well, like social anxiety. So talking to people and having like making connections with people, I found it very difficult to maintain friends because I think my the way I think and the way I see things is very different to a lot of people my age at the time. Like a lot of teenagers, you know, they're not really caring about issues or they're not really caring about a lot of different things other than like what's going on in that present moment. Whereas I was like stressing, you know, about 
racial issues or I was talking, thinking about like other things that were going on and stuff. And I definitely had a lot more struggles than some people around me. So I found it very hard to relate to certain people as well that I was, you know, around me. So I didn't have many friends and I fell out of friendships a lot. So I developed quite bad anxiety. So I just, you know, couldn't deal with school or anything like that. So I ended up just getting homeschooled just to get the education out of the way and get my leaving cert in my hands. Yeah. Now, for someone with social anxiety and that kind of thing, stepping into a television show, what was that yeah. like? <laughs> it was... Um... It was definitely a lot. It was, um, you see, I built up the courage when doing TikTok and Instagram because you learn to interact with people when you do this thing called going live and you just talk to people online when you're doing whatever in that yeah. moment. So I just put on my camera, I'll talk away to people who are interacting with me and it's actually really fun. And it made me, it made me realize that, you know, I don't have to be anyone other than myself for people to like genuinely like me. So the first episode, I definitely feel like I was very high anxiety because I was like, what way am I going to be picked up? What way are people going to see me? Are people going to think, oh my gosh, she's an absolute gomi? Like, I didn't know like what way people were going to view me. So I was like, okay, just be, you know, the highest version of yourself, I suppose. So I went in really bubbly, but then after a while, I kind of like calmed down and mm. just focused more on just being my authentic self. So I definitely say the first episode, I'm very high anxiety. Right. But do you calm down a bit? Come here. What is Maura like? Oh, she's actually the same that you see her on telly, but she is so, like, she's so funny and she's actually really nice. She's Does she have any really slow down button? Like, she seems to go at a hundred points. <laughs> I don't know how she did it, to be honest with you. She was walking around in heels and everything else. Like, and she has full energy. I was like, how does she keep smiling? Like, I'm nearly breaking down here, like, in the heat and everything. Because, you know, the weather was hot when we were up there and stuff. So, yeah. I, and she was wearing, like, outfits. And I was, like, obsessed with them. But I was like, I don't know how she's still going, like, with her <laughs> with her personality. Like, it's just... Um, well, listen, it's great talking to you. And, like I said, we're not allowed to ask you how you did. But good luck. And we'll be watching out for you over the next few weeks. That's Jade Foley from Knocknahini, part of Glow Up Ireland, which starts tonight on RTE2. If you've been following its other versions around the world, you'll know what it's all about. 20 years of age. I look forward to seeing her on the telly. Before we go, sad news from the world of radio. And look, the name might mean nothing to you, but for people like me, not to mention him today would be would be wrong. Uh, The passing was announced yesterday of a man called Robbie Robertson, or Robbie Dale. He was the brains behind one of the greatest radio stations ever in this country, and that was the Sunshine Radio of the 80s in Dublin. It was just a massive... You all heard of Radio Nova, but at the same time, Sunshine Radio was another monster of a station in Dublin, and loads of people worked for Robbie. He gave loads of people their start, which... And very few people do that in radio, but Robbie gave loads of people their start, and uh, he passed away... In his early 80s, I believe. And may he rest in peace. Before we go, <laughs> John O'Donovan says, if there was only one seat left on the bus and it was next to me, would you take it? Uh, get your vaccination, John, and I'll consider it. The programme edited by Fiona Corcoran, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. And that's me in trouble. See you tomorrow just after nine. You're listening to highlights from the Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Hear the full show on our app, by podcast, or on 96FM.ie. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save 